You guys just moved in, huh? How do you know? I live next door to you. What happened there? Some kids from school? I'll help you. But you're a girl. I'm a lot stronger than you think I am. I found another body a few days ago. Victim completely drained of blood. Please don't see that boy again. Where's your dad? He pissed on my dad. What are you? Really? I need blood to live. There's a whole lot more than just what's been going on around here. This goes way back. Other states, other cities. Maybe you got something you want to tell me? Do you think there's such a thing as evil? And welcome back to Scream Addicts Hammer Pub. I am Jenks, your co-host. I'm sitting here with my co-host, Sally Chapel and Paul Farrell. And I don't remember how to do this because it's been so long since we've done this. Has it been has it been a year? Has it been a has it been longer? How people help me out. How long has it been since we last recorded? How long since the devil had a daughter? Mm, maybe month? yeah <clears throat> recorded in the new year couple weeks sure, right yeah that was really? that was after the holidays yeah almost really? it's only a month okay fine it 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 is seemed it, like longer but i can only imagine that's because the world I is you both. <laughs> okay you had to go you had to go dark with the world is ending yes the world is ending you know what uh fuck russia fuck putin um <sighs> Yeah, I said it. Yeah, I mean, fuck all that. Fuck the southern states right now for all their shittiness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fuck you, fuck you, Texas. Happening. Fuck you, Florida, even though I'm in Florida right now. But yeah, it may be because I'm in Florida right now. I'll say fuck you twice, Florida. So, yeah, uh, Florida. No. And, <clears throat> you know, I'm on the ground. So, you know, I can I can do it, I guess. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know if I'm willing to... Uh, <laughs> put myself out there like that but you know what i, I if i if i find uh if i find somebody worth worth a worth a beating then uh you know i'll i'll throw them one because uh there's there's a lot of awful people in this state and there's a lot of awful people in texas and uh i can only hope that eventually one day someday they'll uh, <clears throat> no longer be here is that is that is that too dark a thing to wish no, let's keep wishing it. Let's only wish that good people are in the world. Yes. All I mean, the good Texans I, can well, stay. They're relatively good people. I know a lot of good people that live in Texas, but there's also a lot of bad people there. And we just got to, you know. We just got to weed those ones gotta out. Weed out the bad ones. Yeah, the world is pretty much a, uh, a dumpster fire. But you know what? That's okay because, damn it, after a ways away, a while away, some time away, Whatever. We were away from one another. After all that time, we are back and we are going to be talking more Hammer. But things are going to be a little different this episode because uh, old Hammer is behind us. New Hammer is ahead. And uh, I don't know about you two, but I'm uh, kind of excited. But There's a little bit of trepidation there. Don't know that we have nothing but gems ahead of us. But uh, I don't know. I think overall it's going to be a journey worth taking. What, uh, what do you two think? 
I'm in for it. We're going to watch a movie with Richard Jenkins, and I love that man so much. Uncle Dick. He's the best. <sighs> oh, yeah. I'm I'm excited. I've, I've only seen a few of these, uh, so a lot of them will be first-time watches, but the ones I've seen I really like, uh, especially this one we're about to talk about, so... Yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to switch it up and and have kind of a different sort of movie to discuss. Rock on. Okay, now unfortunately, we uh, <laughs> let me in is a little bit of a longer movie, and uh, I am currently at the mercy of a schedule that hates me. So uh, even though we've been away from one another for a while, and we've watched collectively probably a good twelve hundred movies amongst the three of us. <laughs> Uh, we, we have about 16 minutes before we got to press play on let me in. So I tell you what, let's go ahead and save the bulk of our conversation about recent watches until next week when we all can get into a punch them up over scream. Uh, and text chainsaw. I am seeing scream tomorrow. That's why I'm we're so holding excited. Off. We're going to hold off. We're all going to have hold a hold off for Paul. <clears throat> Okay. But uh, but no, this week, let's all choose one movie to rap about for about five minutes, and then we'll go ahead and dive into Let Me In. I know which one I'm going to choose, but as we always do, I'm going to look to my left. I'm pretending Allie's to my left. Looking to my left, and I'm going to say, Allie, what movie would you like to talk about this week that you've seen recently and you think people should know about, either good or bad? Okay. Not a movie, but TV show-wise, I just finished Yellow Jackets. Yes. I, I watched that am, too. I am obsessed. I need a million seasons of it. I need so much more Melly Linsky <laughs> and Juliette Lewis. I just like the ending. I was like, what the fuck? I <laughs> am so here for it. Oh, I just, I can't get over it. It's all so good. And like Christina Ricci just being the biggest freak. Like I'm just, oh, I can't <laughs> deal. The whole thing with the box of chocolates. Like that's fucked up. And how she's always singing show tunes or listening to show tunes. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. How so good. dare you? I know, but I just like it. It's like a weird, quirky thing it. that she has. It's so cute and quirky, and just everyone is just so she well is adorable. acted. For an evil Even person, like, she's adorable. The young teen actors were just so good. And like the yeah. world building and the story building and the character development for every, like for a pretty decent sized cast, like you kind of got everyone's story. In like a very short season, although I mean it's ten episodes, but each episode's like straight up an hour long, so it's like, yeah, I have. Well, I watched all that in like two days. Oh my god, <laughs> I'm not real. That's like ten hours of TV that I was just like, yeah, give me that. <laughs> Showtime was uh, Showtime was knocking it out of the park <laughs> this last. Uh, this last season, they were doing Sunday nights. They, it gave us new Dexter and new Yellow Jackets, and I was just uh, grinning ear to ear the entire time. So it's just so good. <laughs> now, were you? I gotta ask Allie when you were watching it. Did you have any idea that there was going to be a second season? Because, and I think Paul and I have texted back and forth about this. But when I started watching it, I actually assumed that it was going to be like this limited story that was only it, going to, you know, like True Detective. Yeah, it like, feels like, like we're barely season and then but then also like it got spoiled for me where like a bunch of articles came out just before I started watching it where they were like, Oh, it's gonna get a second season and I'm like, Oh, so it's an ongoing thing. Yeah. When you get to the last episode, like obviously it's an ongoing series. I need I need to know what happens. I was even wondering if it was maybe going to be like a true detective thing where 
maybe season one was going to be like a complete meal of a of a story. You know what I mean? And then season two, it's like, hey, maybe they do something completely differently. Maybe it's an anthology or maybe the same characters will have a new adventure or, you know, maybe it'll be roughly tied to it. Crash and it's crazy. Yeah. And instead, it's just kind of like, uh, no, you know, season one is huge cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Just one tiny part of a bigger story. Off we go. And, uh, you know, I'm happy because I love the show. I love the show. I love everyone in it. And like, I want, I want more of it. And now I'm trying to like fill that like plane crash TV show void. So I started watching like the wilds on Amazon, which isn't as good and came out a year before yellow jackets. And then I started watching lost. Cause I had never seen that before. And like, it's kind of lame. Uh, Allie, 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 please. Ixnay on the off way. <laughs> you guys want to talk about day. lost for a while? Cause I can, uh, I can go. <laughs> you done did it Allie. <laughs> The hype. I have things to say about Lost. No, I'll I'll stop because I know okay. we're on a time. Podcast will be an episode by episode rewatch of Lost. I would probably do that podcast, but I don't know if people would want to listen to it at a certain point. <laughs> <laughs> a TV show from like 15 years ago that we're all now revisiting. I think there already is a podcast that did that. To be honest, there's probably like 10. Oh yeah, but thousand anyway. percent. All right, that was my five minutes. Someone else has to go before we hit 10 o'clock. All right, Paul, go. Okay. Um, well, I also saw Yellow Jackets, which is weird for me because I don't watch a lot of shows, but you guys convinced me. It was really good. I kind of wish it had been uh, one season. I like when things are sort of self-contained, but I, I'm excited to see where it goes. Um, gosh, there's a bunch of things I'd like to talk about, but I feel like it would be wrong of me, given the history of this podcast and the convers- the many conversations we've had about this, <laughs> that I didn't, I didn't kind of swallow my pride <laughs> and say... I watched the fucking Dexter revival. I I did it. I, I I watched it. And after, you know, experiencing it, I have to say it was one of the best seasons of TV I've ever seen. I loved it. <laughs> I fucking, uh... I, I, I'm, I'm almost angry at how much I liked it. I was like, this is, <laughs> I, I almost feel like the, the, the show was like trolling me because it gave me every single thing, like every complaint I had, everything I complained to jinx about, about that final season was like fixed and done in this revival. It did everything I wanted it to do. And that's almost a spoiler because I've said what I wanted it to be. So I mean, I I don't know. I, I, I hesitate with how much to say about it. Because I guess there's probably people who haven't seen it, but I think a selling point of this is it is a is a true sort of definitive ending to Dexter. It's an ending, yeah. and that isn't what we got in the final season of Dexter. And I'm so happy that this exists. I mean, I was like tearing up at how happy I was. I mean, because I was so hurt by the previous iteration, and in all, I mean, this really does feel like somebody who loved the show that stepped away from it was disappointed with where it went coming back and fixing all of the problems. Um, Right down to the point of making Dexter deal with all of the shit he left behind and, and thought he could just sort of move on with and not have any sort of emotional connection to, you know, most importantly, his son Uh, and the way it sort of rectifies that and, and kind of, deals with the, how the sins of the past are sort of replicated in, you know, family and, and sort of 
how that moves on and, and what, what the various ways that could kind of branch off and, and go into. And it kind of gives you both sides of that coin. It kind of shows you the potential for, for sort of both paths and, and where it all ends up is just so enormously satisfying. I mean, in the last episode, I can't tell you how many times I like clapped and was like, yes, <laughs> I was like, this is this, this is what I wanted. <laughs> Um, yeah. so, I mean, it was probably pretty entertaining. My wife had a really good time watching me watch the show, uh, but she liked it too. Um, also Clancy Brown oh, forever. is fucking he's one so of the good. world's greatest actors. And he's so goddamn good in the Dexter revival, uh, as the, I don't know what you want to call him. I guess it's a giveaway, but as, as one of the main characters in the, in that season and what a perfect character to sort of use as a foil to Dexter in the final scene. I mean, that's the kind of new character you introduce if you're going to end Dexter, but bring in somebody new. It's, it's just pitch perfect. It made Dexter a good show again. Uh, it, yeah, I, it fixed the legacy of Dexter. I am I'm so happy it exists. Uh, and it's, it's wonderful. So yes, I loved it. I'm I'm so happy. I really well, am. I'm glad you dug it. I was worried. I did not know you would. I didn't know if you would like it or not, but I knew that you had to know. I love that show. (laughs) I I will say I felt pretty good about it because all of your issues, I watched it weekly as it was coming out. And as it was going, I was ticking off all of the boxes because I knew I was going to text you after every episode and be like, have you started it yet? Have you started it yet? Are you watching it yet? (laughs) And as it was going every episode, I'm ticking off all these boxes from all of the many conversations that you and I had about your many issues with the previous version of the show. And I'm like, it does feel like it's almost tailor made to get back on board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's why I was like, this is a weird cosmic like thing. Like, it, it really did. Like every little complaint I ever had was was addressed in that series. It's crazy. I love it. I, uh, you know, I, it's funny. I wrote, uh, uh, I was able to interview the, uh, the executive producer of the previous show and he worked on it from the beginning all the way through until the end. And he had talked about a, uh, a take, a pilot that he'd written for a spinoff. And, um, I, I guess this is going to get a little spoilery folks listening out there. If you haven't watched the new season of Dexter, skip ahead about one minute and you'll be good. But, uh, seriously, spoilers starting in five, four, three, Okay, so the thing that I liked about his take was this notion that Dexter would continue on throughout these special seasons. Like we would get like a limited series and then he would be gone for about five or ten years and then he would come back and we would basically follow him the old age. And I kind of wish we had that, but I kind of love what New Blood does too. So I'm because the thing that I loved about the previous season or the show, you know, the previous version of Dexter is that every season is about a different aspect of him getting closer and closer to being human. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of wanted to see what Dexter would be like as a 50 year old man, as a 60 year old man, as a 70 year old man. What would that character be like if he made it all the way until that point? But if I have to trade that for the wonderful sort of closure that we get at the end of new blood, then I'm, I'm more than fine with that. I, I think they, yeah. they built up to a really powerful ending and um, I just, I can't wait to revisit it. I want to watch it again. So, yeah. All right. We have five minutes left. I'm going to dive into mine quickly. I think Allie and I are probably going to wind up clawing each other's eyes out, but we'll see how it goes. I watched and yeah. loved 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This is a movie that I fully expected to despise. Um, I was I had my arms crossed for the son bitch. Um, I I hated the fact that it was going to be a Netflix premiere because I already could picture like the blank spot on my shelf with the rest of my Texas Chainsaw collection. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, yeah, I still trailer. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm annoyed. Um, I the trailer looked absolutely atrocious. Um, they, yeah. it, it felt like it was going to be a bad riff on H40 uh, with what they were doing with Sally. I could not have been less interested in it, and I, I've seen it maybe four times in the last week. Uh, I, I cannot tell you the last time I watched the slasher this many times over and over again i fucking fell in love with this movie uh it's everything i wanted out of a texas chainsaw movie it's everything i want out of a revisit to a big slasher franchise like this it to me is everything that i wanted out of a requel or reboot or re whatever the fuck it is um you know that we've gotten so (laughs) many here recently like you know we've seen so many valiant and uh, not so valiant attempts at cough scream cough uh at doing like a a revisit to you know these uh these franchises you know what with Candyman and scream and halloween kills and um you know whatever the hell else and texas chainsaw to me it goes back to like the heart of what i love about the original movie uh which is just you you have a group of real people you know, sort of getting lost in the heartland of America and getting swallowed up by it, you know, and I, I, there, there, what's weird to me is, fuck, I only have three minutes left. Shit, this is like a 30 minute conversation I'm having to boil down, but that's okay. I'm going to follow my own rule here. What kind of blew me away is the sort of discourse that's been on Twitter and in some of the reviews where they talked about the fact that they were disappointed that the themes set up at the beginning of the movie were not followed through on and expounded upon. Themes like uh, gun violence or gentrification, which blows my fucking mind because when you watch the movie, the movie is so clearly not interested in those things. Those are not themes that are set up. Those are shadings to characters and the setting itself. It doesn't mean that the movie has to unpack any of that or do anything with it when it's doing clearly something very, very different. Um, And I don't know that I have the time to actually delve into it. Fuck. Um, But I just I I love the characters. I love what it did with Leatherface. Um, I, I think it made him scary again while keeping him sympathetic, which is something that we haven't seen in a very long time in either regard. I love that the characters felt real, but also modern to me, and uh, for better or worse. Uh, I, I, I love the setting. I, I love some of the, the the darker, deeper meanings that, you know, some of the, the character interactions take on. Like, there's this great moment early on where the survivor of a um, a school shooting and a redneck gun nut you know, who who are already in kind of a tense situation from just being in one another's orbit, just sit down and have a conversation and realize that maybe on some level they have more in common than not, you know, uh, when the world around them would rather have them be screaming at one another, you know, they just have a conversation. They have this moment of understanding. It's this weirdly beautiful kind of moment. Uh, and then, you know, the, the, the machinery at the dark heart of America sort of fires up and you realize that none of that shit really matters when somebody is on your tail with a fucking chainsaw, you know, when you're just meat to, you know, uh, uh, 
certain types in this world. And I, I don't know. I just love that I'm rambling at this point because I'm trying to race towards the ending. But all I guess I should really say about Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that I seriously, seriously like just was not expecting much from it at all. And it bowled me over and I found something new and kind of wonderful in each of my subsequent viewings of it. I think it's a far smarter movie than it has any right to be. And I think that people expected it to be. Uh, and I think it's a damn sight meaner than I ever expected it to be. Holy shit. Some of the gore that they get away with in the movie is astonishing, uh, especially for a Netflix movie. For whatever reason, I expected a Netflix movie to be less bloody and less gory and less violent. And instead, you know, without the trapping, you know, without being sort of held hostage by the MPAA, uh, they, they, they kind of did just whatever the hell they wanted to do. So my hat's off to them. I, I know I've reached the end of my five minutes, but please, I want to give you to a moment to, to, uh, tell me why I'm right or wrong, or if any of that even made any sense. Uh, I felt like I just rocketed through it. Didn't even get to talk about Sally. Sorry, please go ahead. Allie, I know you disliked it. The only good thing to come out of that movie is <laughs> the meme of him in like the field holding up the skin mask and the caption just being, this is how everyone eats a fruit roll up. <laughs> that was pretty good. <clears throat> it's okay. dumb. Sorry. It's so dumb. <laughs> and Paul. <laughs> uh, I... I liked it. I I don't know that I I loved it. Um, but my st- here's the thing: my bar for a Texas Chainsaw movie is very low. Um, it is not my favorite fr- franchise. Um, I like it. I mean, the first one obviously is a classic. I like the second one because it's a Hooper comedy. Like I, I see the second one as a really fun sort of like spoof of Texas Chainsaw One. That's kind of how I view his two. Um I like four because it's so fucking weird uh and bizarre and it's fun to see like Renee Zellweger in a Texas Chainsaw movie. Um I don't like the remake. I'm like one of the few people in the world who just I just flat out don't like it. Um so like I, I just I don't love a lot of the movies. In fact I really only love the first one. Um, so I don't go into these movies with any sort of like expectations really at all. So like I look at this one as a fun slasher movie. Um, it doesn't, you know, I, I get why some people have issues with its like moralities or like, I guess, like you said, the, the themes it sets up and whether it explores it or not. I, I agree with you that I don't think the movie is really trying to say anything. I think it's just being a slasher i do i I, I didn't say that i just don't think it's (laughs) saying what people want it to about some of those aspects i mean yeah okay i should restate maybe is it it's saying some things but i i don't know that it's like primarily concerned with any of that like I, i think it is trying to say like oh look from different people from different walks of life like you know, at the end of the day, like they probably have more in common than they think. Like, yeah, sh- sure. But at the end of the day, this movie is about Leatherface murdering people. That That's what it's about. And and generally it's it's trying to sort of it, it create a dichotomy between like the the populated sort of advanced evolving world and then these areas of the world that just are at a standstill and, and don't move at all. And like 
what I took from it was I, I certainly saw the the villains like Leatherface and his mother, who like his mother, who is that? Like I, I didn't really get that. But like uh, you know, they're sort of the victims in this scenario, of course. Like these people come in. So I I looked at it more like I didn't really like any of the characters at all. So I just kind of was like, okay, well, they deserve to die because they fucking like came in here and killed his mother and tried to steal his home. So he's just protecting himself. So I liked that it was in line with, with that element of it. So on the level of the slasher, I was like, well, okay, now I can just sort of watch these people get brutally killed because I don't have any affinity for them with the exception of like the, the lead who was the survivor of the school shooting. I felt, you know, she was somebody that I, that I liked. Um, I did not like the Sally stuff. That was a, that was the thing that I didn't like. Um, I thought that was sort of flippant and not a great thing to do. And I know I, I get what you're saying about how it wasn't just a retread of Halloween 2018, but I really felt like to me, it was in a lot of ways, even though they do something really different with the character. I was going to say, um, I, I felt like it subverted our expectations for what yeah, a movie like this should do with the. I didn't expect like it. That. Yeah, that, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I agree. I did not expect what they did, but it, it bugged me all the same in the same way that like, um, and I'm trying not to do spoilers. There, uh, there's been other franchises that have tried to do what they do in this movie before, and I've never really liked that. I don't <laughs> like when you bring in a character that's like sort of the 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 pivotal uh, person from like a key entry in the franchise, and then do what they did with her here. And it just it felt a little bit, yeah, just not. I don't know. Uh, but it, this is a hard conversation to have in like two minutes. So it uh, is. Overall, but I, I will like say it. that's okay though, because it it does bug me because I feel like I could talk for thirty minutes or an hour uh, about this movie. But at the same time, it's still relatively new, and so I think it's okay yeah, if we sort of table the conversation now because we can't really dive into spoilers that much. I don't think. But anyway. That's okay, because we are going to dive into the first movie in New Hammer. I'm super excited. Everyone, whether it's DVDs or Blu-rays or Netflix, where it's currently playing at, let's go ahead and keep I saw playing a Canadian Netflix. <laughs> God, we suck up here. I had to borrow a DVD like a goddamn hillbilly. I have my my like Blu-ray from when it came out with, uh, the Blu-ray has like a really cool slipcover. It does. It does for a fact. Uh, I forgot about that. All right, everyone. Let's go ahead and cue it up to the very first frame. We are starting to see the uh, Overture logo. So that's a new logo for a Hammer film. That's interesting. Okay. And let me know when you both are ready, and we'll do the countdown for listeners. Ready, Freddie. All right, Paul? Uh, yeah, I got it. Okay. Let's press play in five, four, three, two, one, and play. All right, Overture. Don't really know who they are, but cool. Is it the Stars Company? It sure is. It sure is the Stars Company. Really? It's weird not that. seeing the like buff guy hit a gong. Right? Okay. This, it feels like a Marvel intro. Can we talk about that Hammer logo? I When I saw this movie in the theater, opening day, first showing, I squealed. I was giddy at seeing that logo. <laughs> I loved it so much. That's a cool logo. I like it. It just it feels very marvely, like back when they used to do like all the characters until it spelled out Marvel. Love it. I love it. I love it. Um, oh man! But you know what? That would be cool if Hammer did do a logo like that, like a really big epic one where it yeah. scrolls through like every major character. That'd be so fun. Could you instead of doing the posters, like actually doing like, 
images of like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, like moments from the movies. Oh and yeah, that'd be great. I'd be okay with that. I'd be down with that. So this is 37, 38 years after the last Hammer film. Uh, mm-hmm. Hammer dallied in television in the 80s a little bit. And then, uh, sadly, they went away. And so uh, Hammer was long dormant. And so near as I can tell from the research that I did, uh, there was a gentleman named Simon Oakes. He was a former cable television producer. Uh, Hammer was very much part of his youth, as it must have been for so many of a certain age in British culture. you know. And he had this idea around 2007 to bring Hammer back into the market. He and his... Uh, his colleague Mark Shipper approached Exclusive Media Group. Um, Exclusive owns Hammer. And then they found investors to sort of back the return of Hammer. And the first thing that they did was a web series. It was 24-minute-long episodes for MySpace called Beyond the Rave. Uh, it was this vampire thing. They eventually cut it together into a feature-length movie. I was so about doing a commentary for it. Listeners out there, I wanted to do it, but Allie and Paul said no, absolutely not. <laughs> you, and, uh, I was told not to watch down. it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was no. I Here's the thing. We, we like staying positive for the most part on this podcast. I watched Beyond the Rave, and I love the fact that you know they made it, and it's cool, and it brought a hammer back. But the experience of watching four-minute chunks of a movie – strung together as though it were a feature when in fact it's like super episodic it's just exhausting and the budget wasn't quite there and i didn't i honestly didn't think we could get a commentary out of it that would be worth listening to uh so and plus it wasn't actually a feature so i felt okay with sort of i remember texting you both about 25 minutes into it and i was like gang i don't know that this actually needs to be our next one so uh so we skipped Beyond the Rave. Uh, but then after that, uh, Simon Oaks and company, they actually started putting together theatrical films. And the first movie that they put into production, I believe, was a movie called The Resident, which sort of held up Hammer's uh, uh, you know, legacy of not gothic horror, but doing many Hitchcocks, like uh, you know, some of the thrillers that Peter Cushing starred in that weren't overtly supernatural. And that's very much where The Resident falls in the wheelhouse. And the super cool thing that they did they actually cast Christopher Lee to be a part of the movie. Now, listeners out there might be wondering why in the hell we aren't talking about The Resident right now. Uh, that's because, for whatever reason, Let Me In was released first. Uh, it was released in October of 2010. The Resident didn't make it out until, I want to say, February or March of 2011. So, considering this was the first out of the gate, we're doing Let Me In first. And I'm kind of glad because I don't know about you two. We haven't talked at length about it yet, but I think Let Me In is a pretty damned fantastic film. Um, I got to ask both of you, had you already seen the movie? Was this a revisit for you in advance of this talk? Or uh, or what is your experience with this movie? Oh, hard revisit. I've seen this movie so many times. I think I saw it in theaters. Like, it was... It's solid, yeah, because this would have come in, what, like, I already forgot, 2010? Yeah, October, I think it was the first week of October in 2010. And, like, I love it, but also I was going through a phase where, like, I kind of worship Chloe Grace Moretz and have seen almost every single thing she has done. And it's like, 
I, I watched her grow up from this, the little girl in the Amityville horror movie and then <laughs> do this kind of stuff and then go on to be Alec Baldwin's nemesis in 30 Rock. And I just think she is so great and has had an insane career for someone who was like five years younger than me. And it's cool. I don't hold a grudge, but it's, it's <laughs> and also Richard Jenkins forever. I love him. I'll watch anything he's in. Like he is just a perfect so, human. So good. So good. <clears throat> Paul, how about you? Yeah, uh, this is a revisit. I did not see it in theaters, um, but I bought the Blu-ray when it came out. And um, I was a huge, huge, huge fan of Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm. So I was I was excited but worried about this movie when it came out. Because it was one of those things where, in my eyes, Let the Right One In is, is literally a perfect film. Um, I think that movie is as good as movies get. Uh, so the bar for me was very high. Um, and admittedly, when I saw it, I was kind of like, I like this. This is really good. But I, I do not feel it justified itself. You know, that was kind of my mentality. Rewatching it now, I, all these years removed, I definitely liked it more than I did then. I've always, I, and again, I think it's really, really well made. I still think... Regardless, and we'll talk about it, regardless of what Reeves says, like, this is not a new adaptation. This is definitely a remake. It is not at all. It is 100% a remake of that movie. There is so much that he does that is, like, shot for shot what the other film does. Well, not only Um, that, but the book. There is so much in that book that he could have mined that the original movie did And he talks about that. To make it different. but yeah, he, he did. Didn't. No, he chose to make the same movie again, which is fine. I, I mean, I get it. Like, that was a movie that made $2 million. Not a lot of people saw it. So it was a way to Americanize it, make it more accessible to people. And he did a beautiful job. And the performances are wonderful. Um, but it's ultimately a less subtle film. I mean, it has to be for, for American audiences. So I, I will say I, I prefer the original. Um, but I do think this movie is very well made and, and justifies its, its existence. I do think it does that. So, um, I, I am a fan. Allie, you were going to say something a moment ago. Oh, I like this one better than the other one. Okay. Paul, Allie, I want you all to brace yourself. <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. I mean, but, that's uh, the beauty of, of all this is, you know, there's, there's, there's no right or wrong answers. E- you know? Even though, awesome. uh, I'm glad she <laughs> likes it more. I new, like this one more. listeners to this might have, uh, if they had only ever listened to this episode and they heard the three of us talking and Allie and I like the, you know, the read between the lines and Allie and I will fight about Texas Chainsaw once we stop recording. And then Paul and I were like all simpatico over, uh, you know, Dexter um, might be surprised to find that I agree entirely with Allie on this. And I think let me in as a better film. Hear me out. No one was stopping you. I I, yeah, I think I think you're out. expecting me to like mount some giant attack. I, I think it's, it's awesome. Paul, please. Paul, like Paul, <laughs> calm down. Uh, by the way, can I just I I don't care if it's corny or not. I love the fact that the story proper, outside of like having that prologue that we can discuss the merits or lack thereof here in just a moment. I love that the story proper opens and closes with the jingle. Eat some now, save some for later. Yeah. Like, it's haunting 
but silly at the same time, and I love it. Um, you know, it was actually like really hard for them to get the rights to that. <laughs> you're shitting me. Who the fuck? No, cares it ended about up that? being like a whole thing. Like, because <laughs> Reeves didn't think it would be a problem, so he like made it really important. And then when the producers are like, "Oh yeah, we can't get the rights to that song," he's like, "Uh, we've got to get the rights." <laughs> it's like this is super God important to the story. So they had to like pay a bunch of money for it, basically. I um I love Let the Right One In. I, I think it's a marvelous movie. I don't know that I could say it's perfect because hot damn, those cats look terrible. But otherwise, I think Let the Right One In is a great, great film. I think it's a great ap- adaptation of the novel. Uh, weirdly enough, written by the the novelist, uh, is it John Lindqvist? Um yeah. He wrote the novel, and then he wrote the uh, the the screenplay for the film adaptation, uh, the Alfredson film adaptation. And uh, he would go on to later write a short story that acts as a sequel that I'd love to talk about later on um, called Let the Old Dreams Die, which they both come from a, uh, uh, a Morrissey song. I have it written here. It is – give me a second here. Um, la-da-dee, yeah, uh, Let the Right One In takes its name from a Morrissey song that is quoted on the title page for the book's final section. And the full lyric is, let the right one in, let the old dreams die, let the wrong ones go. They cannot do what you want them to do. And so he writes this sort of epilogue for uh, our characters, our two heroes, uh, to their story. And it's called Let the Old Dreams Die. And it's short. It's only like 30 pages, but it's uh, you can buy a collection of his short stories that bears that title and uh, find out what happened to our two leads 30 years down the line. It's uh, And boy, do I want to dive into that and how it differs from this movie and why I think that's part of the reason why this is a better film. But before I do that, I want to point out, and Paul, you listened to the commentary for the film. I didn't get the chance to do that research, but I would be very curious to know if the mask that he is wearing there is actually a cast of Richard Jenkins face because damn it. It yes. looks like it. It is. It uh, is a really, fact, yeah, that was a uh, guess. And actually that wasn't, that, right. that wasn't planned. I so love- they, they, they had that cast made uh, for when, for the makeup they put on Jenkins later for the acid burns. Mm-hmm. And uh, during this scene, um, Reeves wanted the boy to be wearing a mask. He's like, Oh, I, I want him to, you know, sort of like a killer, you know, kind of like that donning a different identity and the production designer was like hey you know we've got this cast of richard jenkins face what if we just like made one of those masks out of his face and he's like oh yeah it's a great idea so that's how it sort of came about it wasn't really planned or anything like that but yeah that is richard jenkins cast well it means it ultimately by the end of the movie it means so damn much you know so it does yeah i agree so great yeah. Uh, no, I, I prefer Let Me In as much as I like Let the Right One In. I love Let Me In for a few different reasons. But the main one is that when I watch Let the Right One In, essentially the same story, you know, it, mostly the same story when you compare the two yeah. movies. But yeah. there is that movie. And it's in, it, this is not like a flaw. It's obviously intentional. But that original movie is very cold. It's yes. very clinical. It, it keeps you at an arm's length at a movie. And I love that. And I get it. No, <laughs> that's and that's I, what and I want. That's and what I understand want that. in my vampire stories. So, I mean, that's the thing is I don't, that's why I don't think there's a right or wrong is I think it just depends on what you sort of gravitate towards, you know? And, and that's so why I don't think I, you're, I, I think that's cool that you guys. Right. It's not, it. it's not right wrong for me. Like it's, 
I, I appreciate that fact about let the right one in. But when you have let me in, which again is telling kind of the same story, and it's kind of the difference, you know, they're so similar, but to me, it reminds me of the difference between straw dogs and it's remake, how it's the exact same story, but it means two entirely different things because of the pitch. And, you know, the filmmakers who tell the story, when you watch mm-hmm. let me in, which I mean, both movies are stories about at least from one character's point of view, it's about young love. You have one movie that's ice cold, but you have another movie where this movie where you feel those emotions like you feel like there's a beating heart to this movie. It's warm in all the ways that the first movie is cold and it just feels more honest to me um, in in a way that the original movie doesn't. You know, the 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 there's something kind of airless about the original movie, whereas this one feels it's a it's a little rough around the edges, but it's it's. It feels more vital, I think, as a result. And I think that's kind of what the story needs. And I never knew that before I watched this film. Never would have known that. And so I I have to sort of doff my hat to Reeves for, you know, getting, and I'm not saying this to be a punny, I swear to (laughs) you, but uh, seriously, but I mean this, he, he sort of got the story's blood pumping like seriously like it it, it feels different in that regard mm-hmm. and so yeah. that's why and for a few more reasons i think there's one teeny tiny little brush stroke that he makes in this movie that instantly makes it a better story and a better version of the story and a better film than the original movie and we can talk about that later but i think it. Abuse- yeah we're talking an awful lot about the other movie <laughs> yeah. yeah we are we are we're not uh, watching that is, movie, which man. Which is, I mean, which is inescapable. But right there, there is a choice that he makes in this movie that is not done in the original movie that I think imbues it with an entirely different meaning that is not there in the original film. It's not there in the original book. But to me, it sort of completes the story in a way that the other two feel kind of incomplete and maybe a little. And I hate to say this, but maybe a tad juvenile in a way. You know, uh, and we can get to that later on. I'm fine. Like I said, we're talking about the original movie a bit too much. But no, all this to say that I really, really love this film. Cool. Cool. And I Uh, also would love to kick that bully's ass. Just throwing that out there. Even though I actually feel for him, too. bullies you want to beat up. Well, and like that's the interesting thing. And, and you know, and we'll move on from the other. The only thing I'll say, though, uh, Jinx is like, I feel the, I, I just feel the opposite. Like I, I feel, I love the, I, I get the feelings you get from this movie from the other movie, even though it's cold. So I don't want it to be stated that like, I think that there's no beating heart and it's not vital, but at any rate, uh, in this film, Oh, it is for me, but I mean, I understand I, if it's not for you. No, that's what I'm, I'm saying. Like, I don't think that that's like a definitive difference between them. I think that's a, that's a, maybe like an opinion of how they play. But not necessarily like, oh, this one's doing this and that one's not. I don't I don't think that's really the case. But at any rate, um what it comes Isn't to that always what we do though. Well, I it, it just felt like you were more making it felt like you were making more of like a differentiation between the two. Like this one does this, that one does that. <clears throat> yeah, it's 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 all and I just don't, these I don't are opinions. That's, okay. That's fine. Um so, no, I think the story obviously is very autobiographical. So, like, you guys are talking about the bullies. Like, you know, the the author has talked about how, like, that was sort of what he was up against. And he was – it's a coming-of-age story set in a very brutal world. And it's 
I think the tone of the story, and he talks about this in the commentary, the tone of his coming of age feels like a horror movie or a horror story. So like that kind of comes alive in with the vampire stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this movie does do a really good job, almost a Spielbergian approach to that. And that is different. Um, you know, I like the, we, we already passed by it, but I like the Reagan stuff. Like I like that he's giving his um, famous evil empire speech. Um, and like, that speech definitely it, it was the one that kind of talks about how like evil is this thing that exists in the world and it's outside of America, you know, like the Soviets are evil, but like people in America aren't evil and we don't have those types of tendencies. So like in the context of the movie, it's really confusing for a boy who's growing up and being really mercilessly bullied. Um, and he's very innocent, but he has these incredibly dark thoughts so now he's growing up in a place where evil doesn't exist. So his thoughts are not, you know, acceptable uh, by the institution. And so now he feels like he doesn't belong. And I think that's a really cool, like, dressing for the story and the narrative and, like, a cool piece of context to put in at the beginning. Uh, so that was an addition I liked, like, setting it in sort of 80s America with, with the Reaganomics stuff happening and just the morality of that. I think that kind of propels the character to a place that is more believable um, when he starts like really experimenting with his, what we might call dark passenger <laughs> to bring up Dexter. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that was kind of a cool thing. Are you sure that's not just your read on the movie? Uh, no, it's, it's fact. <laughs> wow. Bold. It's fact. It's fact. <laughs> It can't be disproven. <laughs> you were shitting on one of my favorite movies of all time. Was I not supposed to defend it? <laughs> where point out to me where I shat on that movie. You said it was cold and and it there is. was a vitality it, missing I mean, from it. It's not good. It's just this one has a bit more. All right. I'm sorry I took that personally. To it. I apologize. You're right. I just I felt like I needed to defend it. That's Th- this is going to be a crazy stance for listeners out there, but there will be opinions. They should not be taken as fact. If okay. if we're the James person is all speaking, upset because I, I just felt like we were we were not that you did something wrong. I felt I was doing something wrong by not because I thought I sounded like I was agreeing with it, and I wanted to make sure I made it clear that I thought that what you were saying about this movie was true of the other movie. No, again, I think it's not a matter of like disliking the the fucking original movie is great it's a four star film i just think that they're both pitched very differently and i much prefer the one telling as to the other yeah, again no, I, 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 yeah. I, I go back to straw dogs like you know the original movie was made by a very conservative filmmaker the uh the remake was made by a very liberal filmmaker they tell the exact same story but they're pitched wildly like differently and so I think it's just down to taste as to which version of that story, you know, that's being told that you prefer. Like, you know, it's it's down to you as a viewer, I think. So that, that's not to knock either one. I actually really dig both of those movies. Uh, although I realize that I am I am uh, I am the rare cat that likes, you know, the, the remake. But um, no, in this case, no, I really do like the original movie. It's just for personal preference, much like Ali. I I dig this movie more. All right. 
and then false hurt. And then that no, was I, it. I'm That's good. It. I'm good. <laughs> I'm I'm good. I apologize. Douche. And that. <laughs> That's the podcast. All and right. That's it. Fast We're done. Credits. We're done. We're done. Uh, no, it is neat. I did a little bit of uh, Reeves was talking about after he did, which is so weird to think that that guy started out with Cloverfield and then he went what? from Cloverfield to this. And this, this is such a smaller, like more intimate movie than you would expect from a guy who did like this massive found footage, like huge kaiju movie. And yet, like, I, I I, love it for that. But apparently after Cloverfield, he was developing this uh, story, The Invisible Woman, that he has yet to do. That's insane to me. Like, he was trying to make it after this. And then after he made this, he tried to make it again. And he wound up getting caught up in the uh, Planet of the Apes sequels. And, mm-hmm. you know, now he's doing the fucking Batman movie. So when this guy will get to make his passion project, you know, who knows? But... As I understand it, The Invisible Woman, which has nothing to do with, like, the Universal movies or Invisibility even, uh, but it is kind of like a coming-of-age tale. And it sounds like he sort of took some of his concerns and sort of layered them into this retelling of Let Me In, or Let the Right One In, as it were. So I I, I kind of dig that, but it also makes me a little bit concerned that, you know— I wonder how much other stuff he's pulled from that passion project. And I wonder if he ever gets to make it, if by the time he gets there, it'll feel a little repetitive or maybe like he's, he's stolen too much of himself, you know, God, there's something about yeah. this moment. That's painful. Oh, yeah. The little, well, the that's, um, that's a dummy. That's a giant dummy of the stunt person that they've made. And they, the, yeah. the breath is, digitally implanted otherwise it's just a big rubber dummy filled with blood <laughs> that's insane like he's not actually cutting up the actor that's crazy no no but i, I just thought it was crazy that it was a dummy i i thought it was a person with some sort of like blood, like a blood pack hook up to him so i, I was legitimately yeah. shocked when i learned that that was like <laughs> like it, that just seems like the type of effect that a movie in 2010 wouldn't have gotten that they would have done it digitally or you know, done something about it, but they did a lot of like practical stuff from what, from what I read and heard in the commentary um, on top of the, the CGI digital stuff. And th- there's some pretty good digital effects. <laughs> there's some shoddy ones, uh, you know, so every time uh, he trips and drops the blood, I'm always like, ha that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> Although God. I weirdly feel bad for him in this movie. Like, <laughs> like, even though he's doing these awful things, I feel kind of bad for him. I, I do too. I feel Jenkins, bad for him. You want to feel bad for him. Yeah. You just kind of like him. Even in like uh, Nightmare Alley, I was like, oh, Richard Jenkins. <laughs> he's like this horrific piece of shit. I still haven't seen it. Does, am oh, I oh wow. Oh. Sorry, really. I, that's I not know. really a spoiler. I I get it. I, I just am I even a Del Boro fan? Really? It's on HBO Max, dude. I know, I know. I get it. I, I watch it. I agree. It's I know. Like I just, Oscars. Come on, man. Like, fuck, I know. All right. Oh, the Oscars don't need anything. They truly don't. They're garbage. <laughs> they are terrible. Like, especially now that they've started eliminating categories. It's like, you know, I whatever relevance you had once upon a time has pretty much been destroyed. So Yeah, because they're not gonna show like editing, right? They're not gonna yeah, show editing. Like... Editing. How do you not oh God. that's like how you make a movie. Yeah. It's insane. But I guess it's not flashy and fancy. Yeah, it's it's not a sexy category, apparently. It's not. So. <laughs> I miss the MTV awards where you would get, like, best on-screen kiss. Yes. Those were the awards that mattered. They were like the let me in to the Oscars, let the right one in. 
(laughs) They had a warmth and vitality. I'm sorry, I'm kidding. (laughs) Just my opinion. I hope this movie gets re-released so that that can be like the pull (laughs) quote they use. I do, I do really love the MTV Movie Awards. I grew up with them in the late 90s and I miss them so much. I haven't watched the best thing about the uh, MTV Movie Awards for me was like the sketches. Those were yes. always so They were funny. always so good. They always had such fun hosts. And... Yeah, yeah. Jack Black and... Oh, uh, Kirsten Dunst. When Sarah they redo Michelle the Geller Spider-Man. Were the best duo. Oh, yeah, the Spider-Man thing was really funny. The and then um, There's a really funny one where uh, Ben Stiller plays Tom Cruise's stunt devil. And they do, yeah. like, a whole special on him. And his name is, like, Tom Cruise, C-R-O-O-Z-E. Like, he legally changed his name to sound like Tom Actually. Cruise had john woo in it that moment where he's yeah like, what if in this yeah, one part i turn to the camera and i say this mission just got a whole hell of a lot more impossibler <laughs> and it just gets john when he's like get out yes. get out <laughs> oh man i still look that up on youtube from time to time it's so funny uh he plays a great bully in this movie by the way that kid which is and weird he... considering he grows up to play a guy who usually gets bullied yeah, well, strange. and he's like, yeah, he grows up to be, um, because he's like the lead character in the Goosebumps movie, right? Yeah, yeah, he's in yeah. Goosebumps. He's Dylan, in uh, uh, Dylan Minnette. Uh, don't breathe. He's kind of like yeah. the, the oh yeah, he's in Don't Breathe kid too, with yeah. a crush. But, you know, as as a Goosebumps guy, <laughs> that's the first thing I think. I'm like Goosebumps, but uh, it's weird seeing him be such a tremendous prick <laughs> in this movie. Which it, it's so fucking satisfying when he smacks him in the head. Um, it is, but what I love about it, I love that little moment where you realize where all that comes from. When you realize he's getting bullied at home too, he's being called a little girl, he's being smacked upside the head, and it's like you you have just this tiny little bit of like sympathy for him in that moment. Even at the end, when he finally takes the position, you know that his friends usually take with him, where it's like, okay, it's enough now. Like, dude, stop. Like, this, it's you're going too far, you know, and it just. It's this tiny little, like, it, it's smart that the movie makes us sympathize a little bit with the character that we fucking hate, you know, all the way through it. Well, it's it ties into that horrors of adolescence thing. And and one thing that struck me by it is, like, how we kind of make our own monsters. Um, you know, again, I, I had just re-immersed myself in Dexter, so, like, uh, Owen's story reminds me a lot of Harrison's, where he's sort of created like you can see the beginnings of a serial killer in owen you know what i mean like you can see him potentially becoming something awful because of all of the terrible stuff around him and it's almost he you almost see it as not his fault you know and and then you kind of think like if you just heard the story of a kid who smacked another kid and, and snapped his ear in half at school, he'd be like, Oh my God, that what's wrong with that? You'd make all these assumptions about that kid. You wouldn't necessarily consider the context of what brought him to that point. Um, and, and maybe even potentially further, you know, ha- if he doesn't get an outlet or if something doesn't give um, and how many people and how we sort of treat mental health, especially in our, in our young and we don't, offer any support and we just sort of leave people to drown in these horrific situations. And, and again, just sort of foster an evil environment as opposed to trying to help change things. Um, and so it creates like, I don't know, a, a deep empathy for people, all kinds of people in all kinds of situations 
regardless of whether committing acts of violence, because there's something sort of behind that. And I think this movie really brings that to the forefront in interesting ways. Yeah. It allows us to have like, there are more than one monster in this movie. There are numerous. And I think, I, I think we ultimately wind up sympathizing with most of them. I don't know that the movie ever goes far enough to allow us to sympathize with the older brother. Like he's, he's just kind of a piece of shit through and through, but but everyone else, yeah. No matter no matter their standing, well, we feel probably have an abusive dad. <laughs> True, probably. I'm Basically, guessing. they came from a broken home. Yeah, their dad probably sucks. But, but you're right. Yeah, the movie doesn't go that far with it. It just <clears throat> brings us to that point. But there's layers, and and I yeah. think that's that's pretty. It gets you there enough to start a debate. Yeah. I feel really bad for this dude. This guy's trying to just help a poor little girl in a, in a in a tunnel, in a creepy tunnel. Yeah, sure, that's what he was gonna do. Just help her. <laughs> wow. I I did. <laughs> you know, it's funny, Allie, that you said that because I do think the scene can be read both ways. Where it's like, okay, oh, this guy happened. I get that. Interesting. I, I totally kind of got I this weird predatory thing from him. I don't trust okay. men around little girls. I'm like, you're that's gonna fair. do yeah. something inappropriate. That's fair. I guess I'm I'm coming from a place of privilege. I I didn't consider that perspective. You are correct. You and your uh, privilege. I know. I I gotta. I suck. But um, yeah. No, it's interesting. I think I, it's I do like flipping. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, it was actually snowing, and Chloe was actually like barefoot through this whole thing. And during like in between shots, they would warm up her feet so that she wouldn't get frostbitten. And that's a very what, intense what a thing trooper. for her to do. Like, she was so young when she did this, and she was just yeah. giving it her all. Like, she has, like, I completely understand why she has the career she has now, because she's just, like, fuck it, at a young age, she was going, like, balls to the wall with it. Yeah. And what awesome. a hell of a performance. And what is, I, Every performance in this movie is magnificent, but, I mean, when our two leads are both children and the performances are at that level, like, that's... It's insane. Like to have that at such like raw talent at such a young age is like it's mind blowing. Like you imagine either one of them not being fully up to par, like you know the the movie would sink. I think you know those performances had to be perfect, and damn it, they were. Oh my god, yeah. Imagine what the audition process for this was. Like I know they auditioned a ton of different people for Chloe's role, like uh, Arielle Winter from Modern Family. The one with the glasses. She was oh, a possibility for this role too. And it's very huh. right? Because when you look at her, you're like, I don't see it the way I see Chloe. No. I don't think that would have worked as well, but who knows? Um that's I fascinating. But like I think as a child actor, I don't think she would have been strong enough to do something like yeah. this. Where I feel like, I don't know, there's some darkness to Chloe. Yes. Oh, I agree. I well, do and love like the, the uh, producers the aspect here. Yeah. I, love I love a good voyeuristic thing. Well, there's definitely a rear window element to this whole movie. Like, it's very, there's a lot Psycho of Hitchcock later. I love there. it. Also, who doesn't love spying on their neighbors? Like, that's the whole reason why I live in a high rise among other high rises. I can see into like 40 windows at once. Well, and like, that's an interesting thing, Jinx, earlier. You mentioned that like this one doesn't really mind the book in a different way than the other movie, which maybe is one of the reasons it rubbed me the wrong way. Um, but in the book, the chapters sort of change from perspectives. So you get to see in 
different people from the apartment complex. Like you get to see the neighbors and you have a chapter from their perspective and you have a chapter from other people's perspective. And uh, in the commentary, Reeves talks about how, in his opinion, he did mind that stuff uh, because he said, like, his idea was showing the coming of age of the kid through his his viewing of the adults around him as his first glimpses of sexuality. So it kind of turns him into a peeping Tom, like transforms all of his curiosities, given that he's so lonely, um, into a voyeuristic like desire to watch them play out. So instead of telling those stories, he uses them in the peripheral to tell the coming of age story of, of Owen. Is is what is the way Reeves explains it, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. But um, I do think that's interesting. Uh, it would have because I, I don't know how you necessarily like tell you know the story of the neighbors in this movie without it feeling kind of like disjointed. Uh, but I don't know that I would go so far as to say that it minds those things. I haven't read the book, but from what I've seen and read it doesn't seem like he pulled that much additional information but i like the idea of that no i think you're yeah i mean it's i mean look did he do that absolutely is it a neat idea it absolutely is and does it do something different than the original movie does sure is that enough to justify him being like oh this isn't a remake of the movie we went back to the book right now yeah absolutely i mean also they didn't go back fully to the book because if they did Abby would be a boy who got castrated. Well, which the original movie. Oh, I guess. Yeah. Does too. But which is something, you know, that's actually what I was going to ask you both about. I was very curious in that. Okay. So for actually, I would hope that listeners aren't uninitiated. I, I, I would hope if you're yeah, listening to this commentary, you miss from the original <laughs> the movie, but, but yeah, in the original movie there. Okay. So there are lines in this movie where you have Abby who's Ellie and the, uh, in the original film, you know, saying like, I'm not a girl, I'm not a girl, I'm not a girl. Now, in this movie, the way they play it is, I'm not a girl, I'm something else. I'm not a girl, I'm nothing. I'm not a girl, dot, dot, dot. Okay, she's a vampire, right? She's not human. Like, that's what that means. And like, when he stares through the door, his reaction is that of a young boy seeing a girl that, you know, nude for the first time, presumably. Well, actually not for the first time because of the rear window stuff, but at least the girl he likes, right? It's kind of like an oh my moment and he turns around, right? It means something completely different. Whereas in the original movie, which is pulling more directly from the book, like, yeah, Ellie was actually Elias and, you know, Elias was a boy who was castrated and turned and there's a scar. And so when Ellie says, I'm... You know, I don't think that's even the line, but when there's a line that's intimating that, you know, Ellie is not a girl per se, you know, um, at least within the world of the movie. And it, it gets weird to even talk about that stuff in those terms. But, sure. you know, and then the, the the line, the moment where Oscar in the original film looks through the door, you actually see a pretty explicit shot of like the the scar, as it were. Yeah. So in this movie, do you think I mean do you think Reeves is remotely leaving it open to interpretation? Because to me, like Ellie in the original movie is cast to be pretty androgynous. And to me, and I might be wrong about this, but Chloe Grace Moretz, the way she's filmed, the way she looks, the way she is presented in the movie, there is sort of, I don't think there's any interest 
in that. You know what I mean? I don't think there's any interest in making that character appear as though there's any chance that, you know. I don't even know what the male version, what would Abby be as a male name or would it? <laughs> Abraham. <laughs> sure, Abe, I guess, you know. Um, but they, know, but I, it seems like they just, they struck that idea completely out of this movie. I don't even, I, I think somebody could try and defend it by saying like, well, it's a little more ambiguous. To me, it's not ambiguous at all. To me, they just changed it, period, full stop. And, but I'd be very curious to see what you both think about that. It's been a hot minute since I've watched this movie and now rewatching it. The that shitty Kenny kid is that the guy from the new Scream? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit uh, for him, I kind of only discovered him when I was watching like Thirteen Reasons Why, but like I did not realize he had been acting for as long as he did. What a he is Judy uh, Judy Hicks's son. So. Hmm. I'll have to look out for him. Um, He's blonde, and it's very weird. Well, to, to oh, answer, yeah, it's gross. To answer your uh, androgyny question, here's what's really interesting. It's funny you brought that up, because guess what Reeves does a whole bunch on the commentary. Oh, he dear. talks about how androgynous his characters are. <laughs> he <sighs> specifically, he specifically talks about how. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee has like a very beautiful young face and could very easily be a girl and how Abby in her hoodie uh, as young as she is has a very androgynous look uh, oftentimes and could very easily be a boy so there's these lines that are being crossed about identity um, and he talks about how he goes so far as to talk about when he was a kid he was very androgynous and people often mistook him for a girl. And he said it was difficult for him at that age to stake out his identity. So he wanted that to be alive and well in the film, which I found really surprising because like you jinx, I felt that that was relatively removed from this version. Now watching it again, hearing him say that I tried to kind of look for those things. And I, I think if you're looking for it, you you can find some stuff. But the but the narrative, I think, makes it pretty explicit that it's a boy girl relationship. But I guess you know they never do like go out of their way. I guess to to prove it, you know, which would be weird anyway. But like, so I guess he could walk away saying, "Oh well, it's there if you want to find it." But yeah, he he felt that the androgynous stuff was very very much a part of this film. Huh. Yep. I can almost, almost see it with Cody Smith McPhee and how he presents him and the fact that when he is bullied, they continually yes. and, call him a little girl. And he keeps girl. saying, like, oh, and, you're a little girl. That's why he, right. he said that's why I did that, was because I wanted that androgyny to be a big part of this movie. I do not get androgyny with Abby at all. I just... No, I find either. she's too outwardly female like chloe grace moretz has a very feminine face and feminine features and if they're going for androgyny they should have found someone who was androgynous yeah, yeah. so i, <laughs> I, I think i think that, that was him <laughs> maybe covering his sort of oh well i'm adapting because he kept talking about how he wanted to adapt the book like i wanted to make the book into a movie because i love the book so i think in his eyes he wanted it to be 
that that character could still well be the character from the book while at the same time giving American audiences something that uh, was more digestible for them because obviously that in the first film would not play very well to a mass American audience. It's funny that you say that, and it's funny that we keep hitting on this notion that Matt Reeves wanted to go back to the book, go back to the book, go back to the book. He wasn't merely adapting the film. He was going back to the book. When, one, so little has changed from the previous film adaptation of said book to this adaptation, that's thing one. And thing two is that the one main... Jinx? Uh-oh. Oh, no, did we I lose Jinx again? again? Do, do we do we pause the movie just in case we lose Jinx? Back on our bullshit. Fucking. We, do we do we just continue? Yeah. Do we just keep do we keep going? Is it still? It says it's still recording. I guess we keep going. I mean, it's probably gonna stop when he comes back. Oh shit! Sorry. Oh, you're back. Yeah. What the All hell, right. man? Oh god, I was making a great point too. Fuck. Uh, where did I drop out at? Like Hello. right at the beginning of your yeah, like your speech. whole spiel. <laughs> ah, damn it! Okay, a rocket through this real quick. I'm just gonna say, like, it's it's crazy that all of us, you know, the three of us have been talking about the fact that Matt Reeves kept hitting that note that oh, I went back to the book, I went back to the book, I went back to the book. I didn't merely adapt the previous movie, you know. I I, I went back to the original text. Right when near as I can tell. You know, this is far more an adaptation of the film adaptation than it is the book. But out of all the things that he brought to his adaptation, the the major thing that he did, and I don't know if we want to get into it just yet, but the major thing that he brought to his adaptation completely changes the soul of of the story. And it it does something completely different from a linguist's uh, intent with the story that he was telling. And so it just, I I can't buy that. I can't buy the Reeves. Look, he seems like a nice guy and he's a hell of a filmmaker. I cannot buy this bullshit where he's like, no, I went back to the book. No, you didn't. You, you might have read the book. I, I just go I found that really fascinating. I'm glad you brought up the androgyny because that was something I really wanted mm-hmm. to talk about. Um, and it sounds like we're all on the same page then with this one. So that's that's good because I was wondering if I was off the mark. Maybe I was like, well, maybe I'm just not seeing this. You know, maybe I. But yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, what's, it's what's just the... and I I just don't I don't know. I do think again I you know it goes back to like the the pitch of the story that that he tells, and I do think that this is unique in that sense like how he tells the story not the story being told but you know how he chooses to 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 tell it around the campfire as it were and i think one of the major things that's different from this movie to the original is you know how different oscar and um uh owen are in many ways like oscar to me is somebody who's kind of frightening in the original movie like i do feel for him but he also kind of terrifies me. And again, that's that's part of the reason that I feel like at a remove from him. Whereas, you know, in this story, like my heart goes out to this kid. Like I feel so bad for him. Like I fuck for a small period of time when I was a kid, I was that dude. You know, like I, you know, I I, I was I don't know if I want to get into this, but I was I was bullied for a time, you know, when I was young until I stopped it, you know. And so I 
I, I sympathize with him and he isn't, he isn't frightening to me on that level, maybe as a result, because he he's more relatable to me. And Paul, Ali, if you both disagree with me and you think that they're essentially the same character, please chime in and say, but I, one of the things that I loved about this version of that character is that I don't know. I just I felt it more this time around. This character who is at an age where he is sort of fascinated by, you know, the other sex. He's fascinated with sex in general. That's you know that's spurned on by his you know voyeurism and the rear window stuff. But he's also at the same time he's becoming increasingly fascinated with violence. And it's interesting to me that Abby appears at the exact time that those two interests are sort of. You know, they they sort of meet in her in a weird way, I think, you know, because she is spurring him on to, you know, handle his bullies in a violent way. But also he's obviously attracted to her. And it's just I don't know. I I, I love that both of those aspects uh, of this character's interests are sort of embodied within this next door neighbor who shows up at this crucial point in his life. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I find Owen pretty frightening when he's wearing that mask and stab at his knife at the beginning. I, I actually <laughs> yeah, see that as a pretty creepy fucking scene. Um, I don't know. Like I said earlier, I think I, I believe that this is a story showing you, hey, this is a kid who could go on to become something really bad, but it isn't his fault. It is sort of what I see and i and i find that really interesting i think i think we need more stories about that because i think there's a lot of people who go on to do bad things and instead of asking why that happened and how it got so bad and why they did what they did we go oh they're evil throw them in jail kill them vilify them and we should i mean they're bad they did something horrible but like we don't ask enough questions as to how it got there and who else is at fault for creating such monsters um you know it's it's like you know, yeah, it goes not to go into some like dark places but i mean there's some awful things that happen in this world and people young people do them but they're they were bullied and like where are the where's the accountability for the people that bullied them <laughs> you know what i mean are they aren't they just as at fault not... in some ways you know for creating these these terrible people and i i think that that's and then where were the adults that should have stopped this stuff? Um, yeah. And, and I think 100%. that there's, there's all these layers to it. And I think this movie is attempting to sort of grapple with all of those things because all of that boils down to a coming of age story. And then, like you said, what, and I'll, I'll agree what Reeves brings to this is a, a, a Spielbergian sensibility, a tenderness uh, to looking at these characters Versus the original films, you know, cold, uh, sort of clinical way of doing it, which which I don't think negates heart, but is is accomplishing that in a different way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and again, and that was something that I felt this time, like the first time I watched this movie, I didn't love it. Uh, I, I was very, like, annoyed because I was like, I already have seen this movie and I, and I like the other one better because I not because necessarily it's definitively better, but because I saw it first, <laughs> this already exists. Why am I getting it again? Uh, this time I was able to sort of detach myself from my love of the first one and say, okay, Paul, like let's sit down with this and actually give it a shot. 
and and realize that perspective does matter um, and does impact a story, even if it's roughly the same thing. I mean, for God's sakes, the Cabin Fever remake is the same script and it's a totally different movie. Yeah, <laughs> uh, God. Yeah. yeah, that is that's a wild remake, too. That is a wild yeah. remake. It is. It is overly hot garbage. One, but, so like, <laughs> but it's the same script. You know what I mean? It's it's the same story, but just not good. So weird. It is. Yeah. I mean, and plus to set it at that age too. I think there was a uh, there was a television series that was being developed that was going to be based on Let the Right One In. And uh, stop me if you heard this one, but it was going to be going back to the book. Um, but here's the, here's the crazy thing is that they were going to change the ages of the characters to teenagers. And it's like, if you do that, you miss the point of the fucking thing. And uh, let's be honest here. What they really wanted was twilight, the TV show, you know, like, um, and so that, but no, you, you catch this character, like right at the cusp of like, you know, uh, just the point where he's becoming a young man. And there's this weird sort of icky, like, you know, where he has with being bullied, but also having a crush at the same time, there's this weird sort of juxtaposition with, you know, again, interest in the fair sex and, you know, being fascinated with violence at the same time. It's just, it's, I don't know, it's a really weird spot to find that character in that I think would be entirely lost if you tried to age him up to 17. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, that would be. Yeah, it would Well, be... and the producers tried to do that in this movie, which is cool. But... but it's gross. Like, don't have him at that age. And can we talk about Richard Jenkins here? Not just the fact that his performance is amazing in it, but the fact that he takes a character who, and again, by virtue of the fact that what Matt Reeves changed, like obviously it's, 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 it's different at a conceptual level, but he takes a character that we should fear at the offing and a character who I believe he's called Hakan in the, uh, in what the right one in, and this one, he is known merely as, um, Oh no, he's called Thomas. Is that right? Did they ever actually name him in this? Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that it's ever. That's actually a really said good question. Lot, but, <laughs> but he's called. I guess in the credits, he's called. And by the way, I just want to point this out quickly. Look at the mask that he's wearing right now. Which one is fucking terrifying in its own right? It's so simple, but it's so terrifying. It's a weird and, garbage bag looking mask. And tell me that you can't draw a line between Richard Jenkins here wearing that bag over his head and Matt Reeves' version of the Riddler that's coming up in the Batman. <gasps> it's going to be so good. I can't wait. I haven't seen uh, the trailer for it, so I don't know what he looks like. He's uh, not at all what you would expect the Riddler to look rock. like. He looks like the Zodiac Killer. Oh, cool. Uh, which is something. It, it very much looks like Seven with Batman plunked down in the middle of it. I should be amazing. I can't believe the fucking thing's three hours long, but yay. Um, but no, Richard Jenkins is amazing in this. He plays a character that we, who's so icky and so creepy icky. and uncomfortable in the original movie. And in this one, you you feel bad for him, even before the big revelation that in this version of the story, and now I guess if you guys want, we can we can talk about what I think is probably the biggest change from story to story, but the fact that Thomas here is essentially, you know, he, he is, uh, he's Owen, you know, just 
40 years down the line, 50 years down the line. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. He was a young boy that Abby latched onto, presumably, and maybe genuinely cared for. And then he aged into being her caretaker. And to me, so the the novel by Linkfist is is a love story. Like Hakan is a pedophile that uh, Ellie uses to her basically advantage. You know, they hadn't known one another very long, I don't think, and he's basically kind of her Renfield. Uh, and that, you know, that if he keeps feeding her and bringing her people, maybe there's the problem. You know, I'm not even getting into that. It's fucking gross, but still. Yeah. My man. Yeah. But, gross you know, issue. so, he, yeah. So, and what's, cr- well, we'll get to that later, but so yeah, in this version, oh, and in, you know, in the novel, in the original movie, Linkfist's idea is that it is a genuine sort of romance. It is like genuine young love of a sort. Uh, between Oscar and Ellie and that they're going to go off and, you know, it's, it's going to be this wonderful love story between the two of them. And that actually holds true in the, uh, the sequel story, the epilogue that he wrote, uh, let the old dreams die, which is, it doesn't even really feature them as characters. It's about a couple of other people who had crossed paths with them and were basically haunted by the story and the, the massacre at the pool and you follow them over the course of three decades. And then 30 years later, there is a picture. I think it's a picture that surfaces in the modern day, which would have been like 2007, 2008. And it's Oscar and Ellie. And they are both still the same age. The implication being that Ellie turned Oscar and they're both the same yeah. age. And they're they're you know, they're they're still a uh, vampire boyfriend and girlfriend. And they're they're having a great time. Right. And fine. Cool, you know, that's interesting in a fairy tale sort of way. And, you know, great. Like it, it's a neat love story. Awesome. With this one little change that Reeves makes in this movie, I think it gives the story so much more depth. Uh, you know, it, it's now a story of like predatory love. And, you know, uh uh I, I, I just it's so much ickier and it makes the ending so much more sad and defeating and uh i i think it makes it more resonant i don't know uh that again and i hate to draw comparisons to the original movie and say why but i that is one of the major reasons why i like this movie more that it does have that one little difference in it which is actually it's a little difference but it's a major difference at the same time yeah i agree um Very the, well. uh, oh go ahead nope i was just agreeing <laughs> <laughs> I, I just wanted to it just passed us i just wanted to say uh we just passed like my favorite change or thing that this movie has that the other one doesn't with that car shot mm-hmm. i think that's the coolest thing he does in this movie like i i just think like visually that was so amazing and so interesting and this whole sequence was great and it was it was unique to this film um, so I, I just loved it and I wanted to say that <laughs> it is neat. It is cool. I love it. At this moment, damn, like it's, it's painful. Up. Yeah. It's real fucked up. No, the ending of this and we'll get to it. Um, yeah, is like really depressing. Like when you think about the fact that, or like that Owen is just sort of doomed to become Richard Jenkins. <laughs> so it's like a really fucked up sort of like he's kind of tricked into thinking that he, they're in love and she's really just using him. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I with respect. <laughs> Get it. Um, true. 
Yeah, it's sure. funny. In the original telling, like, there is a story. It's like, a, a, you know, a pedophile sort of drawing down, like, drawing a bead on somebody who thinks is younger than him. But then, like, in this telling of the version, like, who is the... Like, I mean, if Ellie is, like, 200 years old and Owen is... Or, fuck, I'm sorry. If Abby is, like, 200 years old mm-hmm. and Owen is, like, the child here, like, this... Is that a thing? Like, yeah, she looks 12, but she is very much preying upon a child when she is anything but here. That is true. She's yeah. been 12 for a very long time. I see what but you did there. Kind of like every sort of vampire-esque story where, like, they're usually, like, a couple hundred years old preying on very young people. Yeah, and I wish she more vampire stories delved into that, you know, and, like, really sort of considered that for a moment. Well, I know? mean, if you talk about like what we do in the shadows, they address it. They're like, we need that virgin blood because you want, you wouldn't <laughs> want a sandwich that somebody's fucked. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you would, if you had a sandwich, you'd just enjoy it more. If you knew somebody had fucked it. Exactly. Um, that's why you gotta get that I, young virgin blood. <laughs> I, well, that's, um, I always think about Kirsten Dunst in an interview with a vampire. Oh. Like that's my, sort of i think they do a really i mean that movie has its faults but i think they do a really interesting job of exploring like it's only fault was not christian slater you said what it's only fault was not having enough christian slater i think that, like i mean isn't that movie's every movie's yeah okay we're on the same page every um, movie needs <laughs> all night we're like that we're like that unless unless we talk about let the right one in then, then we're not then there's problems yeah then we have issues. um <laughs> When Paul oh and I God. finally meet for the first time in real life, like I feel like like I'm gonna give him a bear hug, and then like I'm gonna find the nearest table and just rake everything off of it, and then we're gonna arm wrestle over these movies. Yeah. Hey, at least uh, we no longer have to fight about Dexter. There's that. At least yeah, that has been put to bed. Dexter. We're now on that. We did it. <laughs> we got there. <laughs> okay. Now that this scene is coming up, I want to ask your opinions on two different things. One, I just want to point out that in the original novel. Hakan, uh, when she bites him, she doesn't break his neck. So when he falls out the window and lands, in the novel, he winds up becoming this creepy ghoul figure who is not a vampire, but he's very much, holy shit, he's very, look at that face. Uh, He is very much like undead, right? But he's undead and he still has his designs on Ellie. And so he goes after and that's that's a subplot that was completely omitted in obviously both adaptations of the story that's thing one but thing two i wanted to ask you both what you thought about the prologue in this movie and whether or not you find it to be entirely necessary because it is a grim kind of intriguing note to start the movie on but i'm wondering again i wonder if it was necessary i wonder if we couldn't start with owen singing that song and just go from there and let the movie draw us in and eventually slowly introduce all these darker, more threatening concepts as the film goes on, rather than just hitting us all with it at once. Um, I mean, what do you think, Allie? Do you think that, I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are before I answer. I'm never really mad about a prologue if it's a story like this. Because I just feel like it gives... Mm-hmm. A little bit of depth you kind of know where the story is going to go because of it and like i'm not yeah. mad at it especially when it's done with good storytelling um yeah and it does allow for like 
I don't know what I'm trying to say. I had a drink. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think I get. Yeah, like it just. I'm not mad about it. I liked it. I like seeing yeah. how it starts to where it progresses to now we're at the point where like, what's she going to do? She's still a 12 year old girl in looks. And is she going to save herself? Is she going to fuck shit up? Is she going to. It's just interesting. It's it's good for her arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think um, one thing that's interesting about the beginning is um, again, to tie it back to what Reeves was saying in his commentary, the reason he says he opened with it was because he wanted the policeman character, like the detective, the Elias Codius character to be like the moral eyes of the movie. So he wanted the audience to sort of see the events of the film through the eyes of someone who has seen like horrific acts of violence because of his profession and kind of like is constantly sussing out like what's right and what's wrong. And like his reactions to things are a lot more bombastic, obviously than the other characters we're going to be following. So he wanted us to ground us through a, a very moral level headed person. Um, So we weren't just like forgetting that the stuff we're seeing is really fucked up and not okay. Can I ask you both? And and we probably should talk about how this fits in the Hammer's Pantheon other than just production history. But Elias Coteus, is he this film's Peter Cushing? Mm. Or is he this film's Michael Ripper? Ripper. Michael Goff? I'd say Ripper. Yeah, I feel I'd like he's not the gravitas that like Peter has. All right, who's no. the con then? Or who's Thomas? Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and you're you are getting at something that um I was the answer is Ralph Bates, by the So <laughs> the answer is wealth Bates. You're all wrong. <laughs> this I didn't, I didn't answer. <laughs> uh all might have gotten to Ralph Bates too. We didn't give him the chance. Yeah, I didn't answer. Uh but I just it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't feel like a Hammer movie for me. Really I don't know. Hammer movie. At all. Like, it doesn't really fit. I mean. So why we were playing it, because I'm like, that's not a Hammer film, but like, okay, it obviously. Okay. It is. But this, <laughs> but this goes to something that we all have talked about in the past, we've dreamed about. Now, does this feel like a Hammer movie as we know a Hammer movie? No, it doesn't. But if Hammer had continued on through the 80s and the 90s, and into the aughts, do you think this movie would then feel absolutely like a Hammer movie? Like if if uh, Carreras's, if Michael Carreras's idea that they had to change with the times and start doing movies like To the Devil a Daughter, if that had been successful, and if they had continued changing with the times and being a bit more malleable than they had had been up until that point, do you think this movie ultimately would have felt of a piece with everything that would have come before that sadly never did? I mean, it's pure conjecture. I'm just saying for the fun of it, do you think? I feel like it would be a different thing because I felt like they would have casted differently. And I feel like that's why this movie works is because of the cast that they had. Yeah. I I think there would have been... I still think there'd be a more heavy-handed authority figure in the movie. Like, that's 
I, I just think that the movie, like you mentioned, like the Elias Codius character, there's a world where that is a Peter Cushing. There's a version of this movie where that and character he's the hero is. Of the story. Well, that's yes, exactly. He wouldn't have died where he died, um, mm-hmm. you know, and he would have been uh, uh, the hero. And he, but there would have been a lot more to that, and there would have been. I think it would have been maybe even if there was still ambiguity, there there still would have been a more moral leaning kind of message to to the goings on of the film. Um, now, to your point, whether or not Hammer would have like evolved into something like this, uh, that's fair. I mean, there there are elements in this movie that I could see deriving from like old Hammer stuff, I, but there's 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 no real like. There's no gothicism. There's no, um, I don't know. There's no long shots of fields and horses. Yeah, I'm like, (laughs) there's no occult stuff. Like, there isn't anything. It's the mythology in the movie is incredibly subtle. Um, it just it doesn't feel of a piece with some of their other stuff, which makes sense because it's a totally new team and it's a, a new thing. But. Can't we like? Do you all respect it for that though? Because I gotta admit, like being a yeah. nerd yeah. back in the day when they announced what it was gonna be, I was just kind of like, "Wait, not a Dracula, not a Frankenstein, not a this, not a that." And then when I saw <laughs> it, I was like, "Damn it, that's so smart!" That okay, yeah, they're doing a vampire story, great, but they're doing a brand new take yeah. on a vampire story. Well, and brand new, like in quotation think, marks. You know what I mean? But yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I think that that is the thing. Like, if if anything ties it to Hammer, like if any one element of this film makes it feel like of a piece with Hammer's uh, stable of films, it it would be that it's a vampire movie. Because that was one thing that they always hung their hat on, that they kept trying to reinvent all throughout, you know, their their films. There was always going back to vampires. So it does make sense that they would lead off with a new version of a vampire movie. That is kind of... Um, you know, poetic in its own way. Everybody there? No, I'm still here. I just yeah, we're got, here. got caught up with the movie. Sorry. Did, <laughs> oh, I, fine. I love watching kids ice skate. It's it's sweet. I miss pond skating. All right. I didn't get to go this year. And it's just it's always a fun thing to do. I've never been pond skating. I've always been afraid I'm going to fall through. Oh, man. Falling <laughs> through isn't that bad. You get over it real quick. You get like hypothermia or something, right? I not don't know. Every, I'm not an outdoors. Guy. <laughs> I fall through the ice so many times. <laughs> really? Yeah. You just deal with it. You get trained okay, so, at a young age what to do. That's true. Well, if, I see. I didn't get trained. Nobody trained also, me what I feel to do like, when I yeah. fall through the ice. We're a bunch see, of this guy. This guy should have known something was up. The teacher guy, like just seeing the bully and the other kid way across the pond, like he should have went over there. He should have. But movie teachers, like, truly don't yeah, give a true. shit. They're not getting paid. Oh God damn! Sorry. <laughs> Every time he hits him, it's so hard. Oh my god, I hate Dylan's hair so much. It's so stupid. Dylan's hair is really stupid. Um, Owen's hair is really kind of greasy. Oh god, the split ear. That, I mean, does that, I don't know. Do you still cringe when you see certain effects or are you completely immune to that? No, anything that involves uh, fingernails getting ripped off 
or oh god, I can't do or it. Like, yeah, I can't teeth. Do like whenever I see teeth hitting something, like that's oh. the, the American History X scene where he just oh the curb stomp. Oh, yeah, I can't. I can't. Even just him putting his teeth on the curb, I can't do. Yeah, that is, I agree with you. I I can't. I can't do teeth. I can't do nails. But man, that broken ear really. I it's still like I kind of shudder when I see it. But I, I again, like this is another practical effect, like the the fake body in the ice, like that looks great. And I, I don't think 2010, like very much practical stuff was happening yet. That wasn't, you know, when the re- revolution of practical effects sort of came back. It feels yeah. like it was more mid-teens, 2010s. What do you think about the decision to not ever really show his mother's face? I like it. She's a non-entity. The story isn't about her. Yeah. It's it's his story, and I feel like I like the whole pseudo-Charlie Brown aspect, where we know he has a parent. It's just not important. Yeah. Because then it plays into the whole, like, where were the parents during this whole thing? Why wasn't an older adult stopping them? Like, Right. Yeah, she's not. she's there for him, but she's not there for him. You know, yeah. she doesn't really know what's going on in his world. And, and if she, she really bare minimum of being a parent. Yes. Yeah. And because if she wanted to know, she could probably find out. I, I imagine if she actually engaged with Owen and then the fact that his father isn't there. And I love the the phone call to the father scene is such a good scene. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know. And maybe you guys knew this. But I had no idea that Elias Codius also voices Owen's dad on the phone. Yeah, I just learned that. I didn't know that. And I love that. <laughs> That's so great. Yeah, this, this stuff is all so rear windowy. Oh, but I love it. Well, love and then. Spine on oh. neighbor. There's something very sexy about spying on a neighbor. <laughs> It's it's weirder when it's a little kid, but yeah, that is that is there because kids are like curious, so they're looking. Whereas I'm a full grown adult who knows that my neighbor across the street is always taking his shirt off for no reason. Yeah, and you just like watching. There's nothing yeah, wrong. Yeah, and that. I just want to know what he's doing <laughs> without he's a shirt. The kitchen, <laughs> just shirtless cooking. I'm here for it. Does he really cook shirtless a lot? That's he, like... like enough that I have noticed. Wow. With his with his windows like shades drawn and everything else, there's everything's open. I feel like, <laughs> like, I can see like four, maybe seven to eighteen floor buildings around me, so I can see into a lot of people's units. Oh and wow! And very few people close their blinds, and I think they just think that people don't look. And I'm like, nah, I'm always looking, baby. <laughs> I'm hoping for something cool. You need to, to get a telescope. <laughs> <laughs> I need to lean into being the whole rear window ask of this. I need to see someone like the wife leaves and then like the oh, affair yeah. comes over. And then Have he you seen a like, murder? Have you ever witnessed a murder? And if you did, would you do something about it? Um, I feel like I would do it in the way that Broad City did it, where I'd like somehow try to sneak into their apartment. Oh, yeah. And then find it it's a sex doll. <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. It's, that's like my favorite episode that they did. What do we think about Owen's really puffy coat? <laughs> oh, I love a good puffy coat. That's of the time, all right? That really I mean, was, yeah. You're 2010 right. had a lot of really good puffy coats. 
Although this is an early 80s movie, right? <laughs> Technically. But the early 80s had puffy cuts too. They're cyclical. Like it was just, it was also um, the year before this in 2009 is when Jennifer's body came out and she made that white puffy mm. coat so hot. Like it was a style. It was an aesthetic. You are not kidding. I wish we could do a commentary for that. I would love did that. Hammer make, did Hammer make Jennifer's body? Could we, could we, we make that Can we shoehorn that in somehow? Can we find like a six degrees <laughs> of separation from Hammer to Jennifer's body? It's a perfect movie. It's another perfect movie. It truly is. And it got so shit on for so I long. Know. And I was, I've been here for like 20 years being like, this is a perfect movie. Everyone's wrong. You're right. At least you can be like vindicated now that it has its following. Oh, I'm truly so vindicated. And I've seen so many, like in the last like, year of going back to conventions so many like jennifer's body cosplays that i'm here for it i'm like yes wear that little dk purple cheerleader out <laughs> wear the white dress like everyone do it oh yes so good Man, i, I do I... think oh go ahead i'm just jealous i always wanted a cool puffy coat and like i never got one now I have to go and buy my own. There's still time. There's still time to get a puffy coat. That's fair. There's there's still time. I'm only in my 30s. Yeah, you're, you're young. <laughs> you're adult. I can still do this. This is an easy life goal to achieve. Yeah. It's I a bucket list something. item that you can. Uh, Allie really wants a puffy coat. <laughs> <laughs> Allie, I'm... you have time. That's what I said. I do have time. There's one so, thing before uh, I die. So sorry, I had to run for a second. Uh, what did I miss? Anything? What did you have to run away for? <sighs> Me? I had to get another drink. Okay, go. that's fair. You don't just do what I do and bring like your whole setup with you. Yeah, I tell myself I'm going to do that every time, and then I never do. Mm. I do it every time for everything. I've often muted this and gone to the bathroom. I even have I even have Girl Scout cookies next to me just in case. Oh man, this oh, what kind? Have the best girl. Uh, I have hundreds of boxes of Girl Scout because my my wife is a Girl Scout troop leader. Paul, I'm glad you Which mentioned your you wife have? because you it occurred to me. You said what? No, I was just going to say, like you uh, you mentioned your wife uh, in the uh, in the pre-show portion of this commentary too, and it occurred to me. You, your children have been on. Your brother has been on. When are you bringing your wife onto the podcast? <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> I mean, she can come on where she wants. Uh, I I don't know. I guess I'll I'll show her our roster and see if she wants to jump on for any of these. I'm sure she. Would. I feel like she's going to come on and she's going it would to be Ally and I for like enabling your uh, your Blu-ray buying habits and. Oh, definitely. Yeah, oh, don't bring don't bring that up. <laughs> there would up be. I'd have to. These... I'd have to like text you the things not to. Bring. <laughs> but no, yeah, that'd be fun. You're right. I've I've pretty much brought on. Well, if we go that far, I'd have to eventually bring my dad on, and I think that would just be insane. <laughs> Okay, did anyone expect Abby to look like uh, Leslie Nielsen in Dracula Dead and Loving It here when she sees the blood? Where he just goes... <laughs> that sound probably isn't very flattering on a podcast. <laughs> just really it's really nope. sexy ASMR. Just... <laughs> Again. Oh, yeah. Okay, so... I do so like her going feral here. <laughs> Back to your wife having Girl Scout cookies. We get the <laughs> shit ones in Canada. We get like the two different sandwich cookies and Thin Mints. If you get samosas and those adventureful ones that are like the brownie with the caramel, I will pay you to mail. Those, those are hard to get. I do have some of what? those. I just bought like 
Uh, I bought Girl Scout cookies through the dealership that I work at because one of the secretaries, her daughter, was selling them. And I, there were adventurefuls everywhere. And let me tell you something. They were delightful. Yeah, yeah we don't so get those. In I'll Canada. see if I can get you some, and I will say I, I'll I see can, if she's still get, selling them. Yeah, I can like, send you some. Those and the samosas, I will just yeah. pay you to give. No, me you don't have to. You, like... I, I, I owe you Blu-rays worth anyway. <laughs> okay, there she goes, feral cat. Look at that. <gasps> yeah, get what feral. the hell? Uh, can I? I don't want to be that guy. But that how guy. much blood did poor Owen spill for there to be that much on the ground for her to lick up? Because damn, an awful lot. But fingers bleed a lot. Have you ever hurt a finger? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm going to regale you guys with a story that I told Paul earlier. So I put yeah. my oh, hand. Oh, that might have gotten cut out, like with the weird jinx thing too. Yeah. So we should tell it again anyway. Yeah, so recently I went to fix my curtain just to like close it more and it got like the curtain rung got snagged on the rod. So I did the thing I always do where I kind of just hoist myself up a bit and go up higher on the curtain to yank it over. And I slipped and braced myself, but put my hand through the window and shattered the window. <laughs> and oh. I yeah. cut up my hand a bunch, didn't know. Ah. Went downstairs to talk to my, like, building manager just to be like, what do I do? I broke my window. It's negative nine degrees outside. And he's like, cool, you're bleeding everywhere. Let's deal with that first. <laughs> so, yeah, like a hand cut, it it'll spill way more than you think. You're lucky he wasn't secretly a vampire because that would have really triggered him. Oh, he kind of looks like Ed Bagley Jr. And I'm, like, in love with it. I want to imagine him as Bridget from Ginger Snaps just being like, Allie, stop it. Go home. You're bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> but I am home. <laughs> so now I have my window boarded up and I get a new window tomorrow. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> I, I do think this is interesting. Anything I can't speak. <laughs> Drinking is fun. Um, I think this is interesting. And Paul, it goes to your point earlier we were talking about this being kind of, you know, in so many ways, not a hammer movie, not what we would expect. Right. And sure. here yeah. we have a phone call where a religious character is basically, you know, in a really kind of surprising reveal because come on the entire movie, we think that the, the, the mother is kind of put upon and the father is an asshole. And then in this one scene in one very deftly written scene, that's all kind of upended. Now we have to wonder what the real story is there, but you know, in this quick conversation, he sort of takes a swipe at her by, you know, and I, I forget what the exact line is, but he basically notes that she might be suffering from like a religious mania or something like that. And it's mm. we're a far cry from the days of like Dracula, Prince of Darkness, you know, or uh, or any number of Hammer movies where, you know, Christianity saved the day. And um, right. I thought it was interesting. That for the bulk of this movie, like religion doesn't play really a part at all. But then in this one scene and, you know, I mean, that it, that doesn't mean that the movie is necessarily downing, you know, any specific religion. You know, we can make assumptions based on it, but also it might merely be the fact that the mother is simply unwell. And maybe that's uh, that's a that's an aspect of her illness. Um, well, and it's like something. But again, it's just all this to say that. We're we're a long, long way away from classic Hammer. Yeah, and it's it's yeah. just another tool that adults use to distance themselves from children. You know, it's like he's so mis he's so alone 
right? And and if you know that line suggests that that his mother is sort of like some sort of religious, you know, zealot or some some sort of kind of obsessive person in that way, <clears throat> that that's the thing that she's dedicated her life to, not her son. Um, and you know the fact that I mean, Ellie and I talked about this when you were away, but like that you never see her face; that she is a no, non-character in the film, yeah, and it's great. And right, and and his father also doesn't appear, voiced interestingly by Elias Codius as well. Um, He's you know dad. is, and then when he does talk to his son, who's reaching out to him desperately, like I need help, so please help me. He makes it about his relationship with his wife, and it's not about his son. And and the end result is tell your mother to call me as opposed to actually listening to what his kid's problem is. So he's just as guilty as using religion as a, um, you know, a shield uh, mm-hmm. as as his mother is. I do think it is interesting and kind of sad and it just. He, this kid has nowhere to turn, so he's like, well, why not go ahead and risk yeah. being well, I killed I'll by go a to monster? The <laughs> Because at least, you know, he might die, but, you know, yeah. at least she's paying attention to him, you know? Right. Yeah. And, and you know, in his, his eyes, you know, it's, it's a girl he's got a crush on. So he's that. So she bites people and drinks blood. Big deal. Well, and like, you know, he's young. I think one of the other reasons we talked about why they could never be aged up and why that's such a bad idea. Um at this age, their relationship would, wouldn't be a physical one, you know, based on where he's at. So there's sort of a confused, overwhelming allure to the relationship that never really needs to be more than, uh, you know, when it comes to physicality, more than a holding of the hands or a kiss on the mouth or something, something very, uh, what might be considered innocent or, you know, completely, a fairy, fairy completely chased. Yeah. Right, right, right. That that works, given their age. That would not work with two seventeen-year-olds. <laughs> no, not at all. But it is interesting that like sexuality does figure in. It that. does, yeah, like, yeah. But he's discovering it. You know, he's he's yeah. discovering it from a distance, and he's watching he's, it. And he's I mean, experiencing it's like puberty. It. He's learning new emotions. Right, right, right. And I do. I think this one-two punch in this scene, this moment, like when she says. I told you we couldn't be friends. Like the one, two punch of him discovering those photographs of young Thomas. And for whatever reason, not seeing that as a warning sign, but don't you think her saying um, like, Oh, sorry. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Just to finish this up real quick. But like her saying, I told you we couldn't be friends. There is a way to read that. And probably the way that, well, I, I won't make assumptions, but I can imagine that, Many reactions to that line would be to feel kind of bad for her, right? Because that's how we we take in stories about sympathetic monsters, like, oh, you know. But instead, like, I told you we couldn't be friends, to me, is like the big, like, warning sign, the flashing lights that say she's a predator. Because I told you we couldn't be friends. That is totally, like... It's a way to guilt someone into accepting that the person who is actively seeking, you know, your affection is going to hurt you. You know, like, I want you to be okay with the fact that I'm going to damage you and I'm absolving myself of that by bothering to mention it in the first place. There, 
I did my part. I tried. Now let's hang out and we can be sweet on one another and it'll be great. And then I'll destroy you. You know, it just, it, it makes their relationship so much more icky in that moment. To me, like that's where the big turn in the movie is when you, not so much the pictures, but the fact that it's immediately followed up by that line. Yeah. It's truly the douchebag cop-out lie where it's like, hey, I told you I was an asshole before we started dating. It was your choice to date me. <laughs> yep, scorpion and a frog. It's like, fuck you. Fuck you, man. You well, can't just like, be an asshole me, and blame it on that. Fuck you. To me, that almost means like at the end, he knows. He knows what his future is, but he thinks it's worth it. I, You know, it's like he's opting to be in what is essentially an abusive relationship. Um, he's, Which is he's funny submitting because submitting to it. Uh, maybe it's more like Twilight than we think, because that's totally Helen <laughs> Edward too, right? Ah, uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh god. Every Twilight vampire so movie crazy. just comes back to Twilight. I like Twilight. That's that's a series I like. <laughs> you you can go. Aww. Twilight's hilarious. I'm sorry. Did you read the books, or was it no, just no? Okay. No, I just love I love how insane the movies are. The movies are absolute bonkers movies. Okay, I... this self-cannibalism moment is so fucked up. Love it. And then, she, yeah, the fire. This yeah, poor fire, nurse. Fire's a shame, but... Poor nurse. Eh. Yeah, that's... Um, this is rough. That's a... Uh, that's asylum-level... Yeah, I know. Some of the CG in this movie does not hold up. <laughs> okay, I just saw Blade again in theaters, and the CG in this movie is like an Oscar-worthy performance compared to the CG in that movie. <laughs> yeah, I but I mean... seen Blade in like 15 years, maybe longer. For some reason, the Cineplex in Ontario put Blade back in theaters, I guess, for Black History Month. I don't know why. Interesting choice. Uh, yeah, considering it's like written and directed by white dudes. It just right. happens to star Wesley Snipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just, it's so good. It holds up so, so well. It's Stephen Dorff forever. I mean, Stephen Dorff forever. I can get behind that. Udo Kier is a vampire. Oh my God. It's a, so a fussy good. vampire who who is defanged as like this weird sort of emasculation of a vampire. I, that's such a great scene. It's such a great scene, but oh, truly the good. CGI is ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised by that. Yeah. End of the day, we're all just ice skating up a hill. Quick question though Blade or Blade 2? Which one's better? Blade. Yes. Yes, both of them at Blade. once. Whichever one, uh, whichever one I'm watching at the time is the better movie. Blade Trinity doesn't count. Oh, Blade Trinity never counts. Although I don't think it's terrible. <laughs> I think it's fun in its own right. It's got Ryan it's Reynolds. Just, yeah, That's, and he's fun in it. Yeah, he's good. I like Ryan Reynolds. It has he's one of the greatest moments in Ryan Reynolds' career. Uh, the moment when he's being tortured by Parker Posey, and then Blade does the thing where the silver goes up into the ventilation and whatever the fuck. It's so stupid. Yeah, maybe it is a bad movie. But uh, <laughs> all of the vampires get dusted. And so there's Ryan Reynolds laying on the stairs where he was being tortured. And she basically collapses into a pile of dust next to him. And in this great sort of just, just underplayed bit of brilliance, he's like, stay there. I'll get help. <laughs> Solid. Okay, this scene is... Uh... Oh, I love it. Oh, yeah. Wearing a little kiss shirt. You almost missed this great, great scene. The blood and the the hug. And I just feel so bad for this kid. Well, and this is like really good world building. 
you know, because it's it's this is a scene that's about the mythology in a way. It's like, what happens if you don't say she can come in? So, like, I like that it takes the time to play around with the mythos while at the same time letting the characters continue to grow. Um, you know, him seeing that she's willing to show him kind of what her world is and what the uh, what the cost of it is and what the what the risks are. Uh, while at the same time, like letting the audience kind of get some of their questions answered, because I, anytime you watch a movie like this and they're like, well, you have to invite me in. You're like, well, what if they don't? <laughs> you know, it's like silly little audience questions that don't matter, but that are fun to see answered on screen. So could we say that, um, I mean, Abby is totally grooming him, right? Like, is that? Is that mm-hmm, a thing to mm-hmm. say? Like that's yeah, that's a yes, thing. yes. Abby, Abby is well, yeah. She's the predator in every sense of the word. I'll ask, okay, I'll ask you both this then. If they both, if they're starting out now the way she and Thomas did back in the day, and then you see how she treats Thomas when he can't come through as a provider, yep. right? Do you think Abby actually cares on any level? No, she's a, no, hero. God, no, no. She needs, she needs a human. Yeah. And do, she needs... do you think on any level it can be both? Do you think she can have real affection for him, but also know that she's going to wind up using him? Or do you think it's purely predatory? Like it's just lizard all the way? I think it's purely predatory because the people that she preys on are weak characters, yep. like emotionally weak characters. Like they're never going to stand up for themselves. They're never going to be like, no, you need to love me yep. back or I'm not going to do this desperate boys it's and desperate then she makes boys. sure and she makes sure they never grow up so they're stunted yeah they're stunted they never become true men in that way and they're also um, like she's a true abuser where she isolates him from yeah. family from friends like to the point where she's all that he has so what is he gonna do fucking leave right yeah i agree and i think the closest uh, she ever gets to affection with these people is may- maybe on some level like a like a pet <laughs> like you know like oh this is a thing that i like having around in a way but i think as they get older it's harder for her to see them in that in that way too, do you think it's they... as oh sorry go ahead. no no go ahead no i think i mean it's every bit of surface level but do you think also part of it might be the fact that she can for a time anyway live kind of vicariously through them and be a child again with them until you know her need rises as it were yeah i think so i mean the one question i have is how much good can owen really do her as a 12 year old exactly you know like like uh richard yeah like richard jenkins as we know him is an adult so he can do all the adult things but like Owen's not going to be able to do that for a while. <laughs> well, let me you ask know? you both then. What are you, given her strength and her speed and the fact that when she has to, she can take care of herself and she can find food for herself and she can fend for herself and she can protect herself. And if anybody gets in her way, she can rend them limb from limb. We see what happens to Elias Gateas later on. Why do you think she needs them at all? Because she doesn't want to do shit for herself. She can protect herself by making other people do things for her. I I look at it like money laundering. 
Um, I think if she did it all herself, someone would eventually figure out she's a vampire. Someone would eventually figure out that there's a vampire there and they'd try to kill her. Mm-hmm. But if she if she hides all of her kills through a man, the people who figure it out will just think it's a serial killer and it's that person who's doing it. They won't assume it's a supernatural creature and try to hunt her down. You think it's that much of a mastermind like plan? Oh, like, I mean, if she's if she's thousands of years old, yes, I do. <laughs> I think I think in the book she's only a couple of hundred, but that that raises an interesting question. Then you're both familiar with the original movie, right? And so mm-hmm. we we know the difference between that movie and this one, and now we know like what you know the novelist's intentions were for those characters, both in the movie and his original mm-hmm. novel. So, yeah, we're discussing this movie, and I actually agree with you both. I think she is purely predator in this. But do you at all get that feeling when you're watching the original movie, or do you see it more as the love story that the author intended? I don't really see this as a love story. Not, I not this one, story. but I mean, let the right one in. No, either of them. It's very predatory. Sorry, I'm eating ice cream while we're doing this. I love it. Um, I... So I see the first one a little bit more like a love story, but I still see, I still see it as a predatory thing. I, I think of the first one, uh, she's she's having a connection with with Oscar in a way that she hasn't had before, and and she likes that, and she's into it. But at the same time, she knows like she knows she's going to need a familiar. She knows she's going to need a human, but you may as well have one that you actually like and enjoy being around. Um, And I think that's more where that's coming from. Um, But given who that character is and what they're ultimately trying to do, I still see it as like a, a predatory thing. I don't love the short story that you talked about. Like that, rubs me the wrong way a little bit i don't like it i don't like the idea that that they like that she turns him and they're they go off happily ever after um i i just that that doesn't really feel true to at least what the movie was doing i haven't read the book so maybe that jives well with the book it it kind of does like it kind of does it, <clears throat> but um... yeah I'm, I'm sure it does um but i think the movie deviated from that a little bit um at least yeah, in my does. opinion. It did. It did. Um, but yeah, I mean, in this movie, it's much more clear. And again, that, that was something this time around that I caught, like there were some subtle differences that, that ultimately changed who that character was. The Abby is, is a hundred percent using Owen <laughs> and creating a new slave. <laughs> I, uh, maybe we should have talked about this earlier, but it occurs to me to ask you both now, we were talking about like the sort of ambiguity when it comes to Abby here and like the androgyny or the lack thereof in this version of the movie and not seeing the scar and, you know, the idea that she keeps saying I'm not a girl, but they play it as something else and all of that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not making assumptions about Reeves as a storyteller or any of the powers that be that oversaw this movie. But I am curious to know if you both think that maybe the reason that was omitted is simply because they didn't want a love story between two young boys. Like for American audiences, they didn't want to handle that. You know what I mean? I mean, I wouldn't put it past them. I feel I like they're that, still that uncomfortable with men having relationships with other men. Yeah. 
Well, and it was, and and it's sad to say, but even 2010, even though it wasn't that long ago, like, I think that we're as bad as it still is. We're in a different place now than we were then even. And yeah, I, I do think that was a part of it. I mean, that that's a thing that bothers me about it a little bit is I think, I think it's more interesting if it's, if it's a, a boy who's been, you know, castrated and, and sort of made to be or taken on the identity uh, or however you want to sort of view it. Obviously there's a lot of different interpretations. I think, I think that's more fascinating in some ways. Um, Do you think it's better in a way, in a weird way, like to shift that? Yeah, just and again, I'm just asking weird questions that I don't necessarily have any concrete answers on. I'm just curious to see what you both think about it. But is it maybe better in that way in that we don't have a character who could yeah. You know, would you consider Ellie to be trans in the original story? You know what I mean? And so. Yeah, I I mean, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think it was forced forced upon. upon, It's not trans. I feel like that's a genital mutilation. But she but she does presumably make the choice to then identify as a girl and grow out her hair and you know what i mean like yeah but she also makes the choice under a very extreme circumstance true 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 but i just i i guess the reason i was asking that is i'm wondering if it's better in a way because then we don't have this one representation like this one you know arguably whether it is or isn't like a, a potentially trans character being you know a uh, 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 a monster as it were within the story you know what i mean uh yeah and the other difference in the first one is and, and in this one too but the character says i'm not a girl so if yeah. if, if the character were trans i i don't think they would say that right like they would identify yeah as girl. very true very true um, very true and if but, the character were britney she would say i'm not a girl but not yet a woman true that is sorry, <laughs> sorry I'm no i mean yeah. i think i think Britney's always relevant and, and especially here. Um, she is free. Uh, she she is, is free and I am, I'm happy about it, but no, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's all like, that's what makes these films really fun to talk about. Um, and I think like as a remake, uh, remakes are, are tough, right? Because there's always <laughs> this, the, the inevitable conversations that happen with remake, they're either too different or they're not different enough. You know, it's like, it, it's hard to sort of nail down what a remake should or shouldn't be. And, and everyone has their opinion on it. Um, for me, uh, uh, I think I was, I was definitely wrong about my assessment of this movie the first time I saw it. And I, and I think it comes from being too close to the source material. I think when you love a movie at a certain point, it's going to be really hard to accept another version of it. it. It's just difficult to do it. Um, and, and for me, this movie was really helped by a decade of distance um, and I purposefully didn't watch Let the Right One In again. I was going to watch them both again, and I decided not to do that because I wanted to see this movie completely detached from the other one. And and mm-hmm. I think that it played really, really well. Like, I, I walked away from this thinking it was a four-star movie. I was like, this is great. I, I really like this, and I don't know why I had a problem with it initially. And so I think, like, this one's really tricky because it is so similar in terms of how it sets itself up and right down to the cinematography, like the way it's shot, the 
composition of things, but where the difference is, and like we're talking about here, is just the subtleties of the character. And and that's such an interesting way to deviate because most remakes don't hew so closely in style, but so different in subtle character mannerisms like this one does. Um, and it's proof that, you know, the script and very subtle pieces can make a world of difference in terms of the movie. Yeah, and it is, you know, I agree with you on the whole remake thing, especially when you love an original movie. It doesn't matter how good the remake is. It's going to take a couple of viewings of that thing, if you're even willing to give it that much, to sort of knock that movie out and, like, set your expectations. Like, for example, I there's a movie called Open Your Eyes that uh, Alejandro Amanamar did in 97 that I absolutely adore. And uh it was remade as Vanilla Sky, and the first time that I watched it, I absolutely I loathed just that, that film. Oh my god! I, I hated that son of a bitching movie so much. Oh, I love Vanilla Sky. Oh man, and I I've since <laughs> yeah, no, I've since watched it a couple of times, and I love it now. So oh cool, still yeah. Yeah. Well, I first, better. When I first saw it, I made my grandpa rent it for me and then watch it with me. Oh wow, <laughs> with your uh, grandpa, interesting. And it was like. <laughs> I kid, didn't know what it was going to be. And then I learned midway through, I'm like, this is this is a movie I should not watch with my elderly grandfather. Oh, my God. Yeah, there, <laughs> there's some scenes in that that would be very awkward. Oh, it was super uncomfortable. Even, even just some of the language, like, I mean, Cameron Diaz, like, going after... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, that, would, that would be an uncomfortable watch with Grandpa. Um, it, it really was. I I love that movie. I think that's one of Tom Cruise's best performances. He's so good in that film. Yes. Anyway, it is. And honestly, like we Kurt need Russell Nathan too. Lee and more things. Yeah. I love Kurt Russell's. Uh, you know, just the whole. I, I'm real. You know, I'm. <laughs> I'm real. I have I have two daughters. <laughs> what are their names? <laughs> Shut up. That's what their names are. Love it. No, he's great, and it, it, but it, but again, you know, it took me a while because I love that original movie so much, and so to watch an interpretation of it that is so definitely the story that I know, but told in a vastly different way. It's just there's this weird sort of dissonance between the two that you have to shake with multiple viewings or distance or time, you know, and yeah. uh, and I think the true like I, I I completely get why you felt that with Let the Right One In and this one, you know, why it took that time, but um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've come around to it. I'm, I'm here now and I like it a lot. Um, and I, you know, and it helps that Reeves has had such a prolific career and he's made some of my favorite blockbusters since then, uh, because the Planet of the Apes movies are so amazing. So amazing. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, um, we're, we're at the pool scene and the pool scene is pretty cool. Although. This was one of my issues initially was that, like, I kind of wanted him to do something different with this scene. Well, he went back to the novel, Paul, and, uh, <laughs> you know, and he took it right from the page. Like, the, the pool scene in Let the Right One In, the first time you watch it, is like a revelation, isn't it? I mean, it's so cool. And then you watch it here and you're like, yeah, this is awesome. This is fucking amazing. But, like, also kind of already seen it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's Spike Lee doing 
the one take fight scene in Old Boy. I, you know, yeah, it's impressive on a technical level, but we already saw it and it was yeah. better before. Yeah. Right. And that was my issue is because I kind of hung my hat on that scene in the first one. Like, because I'm big on like, if there's this like, life-changingly cool shot scene like i i tend to really focus on that and like hold on to it for a while and so i was like oh i wonder what they're gonna do for that in this one and then when i got there i was like oh okay (laughs) but it's it's great it's really cool but again yeah anyway but but in general though what an awesome way to show that sequence you know holding holding on the kid while the chaos is happening around him is such a cool way of doing that This is and like the threat of violence here, like is just yeah. And in a weird way, it feels kind of true of the time, like because I don't, I I, I don't know that I would buy modern. T- I I remember there was a criticism of the first it that you know one of one of the youngsters the was carved too mean. up, yeah, that they were too mean, and it's like, look, you, did you fucking grow up? the 80s like that shit happened like <laughs> I, I was more like have you ever read a stephen king book yeah exactly. well, all the boys <laughs> are fucking monsters that's just what stephen king does <laughs> but like in this one for this to take place in the 80s and you know for that scene to happen like it feels true like it feels right in in yeah. all of its awfulness in a way that if you know for whatever reason they had elected to make it modern day it would have felt like it had gone too far. Like, I don't know that I could have bought a modern teen in 2010, you know, threatening quite believably to pop out a kid's eye with his pocket knife, you know? Sure. And it's crazy because then that kid goes on to do 13 reasons why, where they sodomize a kid in the bathroom. I have not watched that show. Wow. I have not seen that either. Going to probably go ahead and pass. I, I do like that. Kenny looks like, really worried during this scene when his brother's holding him underwater. Like Kenny's like, he's going to fucking kill him. And my question to you guys is, do you think that guy would have drowned Owen? I don't think he would have drowned him. I think he 100% would have taken an eye. I think he would have drowned him not knowing how long it takes to drown someone. That's what I was saying. Like, do you think he would have held him under for three minutes is a better question. No. You think he would have let him up? Yeah. I, I think the whole point was that, you know, is he going to struggle to like come up? And if he does, that's when I'm going to mutilate him, you know, but Owen never got to that point. He never had to. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I, I kind of think he would have drowned him. I think he would have held him under for three yeah. minutes. I think he would have, I think he would have died. And I, I think that's, we're seeing the beginnings of a different movie that never sees its way through because the, the vampire comes and saves. Oh, oh no, you're fine. Something about that, like the, and it's not shot in the same way. It's not, you know, beautiful in the same way that it is in the movie that I'm thinking of, but something about the snow falling through the broken skylight into the pool, like that's totally fearless vampire killers to me. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's very ethereal. Love it. And then there's this, uh, you know, we get to the end of the original movie and it's like, Oh, what neat new adventures await them? You know, what will happen next? And, in this movie, it's just kind of like, well, that sucks. That poor fucking kid. Like, he never could catch a break. And he never will. And he never will. Nope. Yeah. She uh, she succeeded in slavifying him. 
Eat some now. Save some for later. That's so... That should be so goofy, and instead it's so chilling. Like, it's... <laughs> now and later is where candy that Reeves ate a lot as a kid. And that's why he wanted that to be a thing. <laughs> Apparently he really identifies with Owen. <laughs> I get it, and I feel that. that like it, it does. I do too. Yeah. I, I think he, he must have had a tough uh tough childhood. Yeah, it's this a, is a beautiful it's a, shot at the end. It's it simple, is. but it's it beautiful. Is. It's quiet and contemplative in the way that, you know, Owen's life is has been and now will forever be. But that's what's sort of ironic about is he's he's doing this to get away from his loneliness, but he's ultimately condemning himself to an incredibly lonely existence. But is it a lonely and safe ex- existence? I don't know that I'd call it safe. He's going to be killing a lot of people. Safe to a point, you know, maybe. Who knows? Like, he's, he's got about, That's what, true, 40 Ellie. years? Like he has and... A, well, and he has a protector. I think to Ellie's point, you know, before he was bullied and he never had anyone he could go to, now he has someone that will save him if he yeah. needs it. That will stand up for him. No one ever stood up for him. Yeah. You know? Now and... this abuser is going to stand up for him. Yeah. So and at that's, what point that's how she controls that's... him. Yeah, that's a good point. Is that going to change, though? Because otherwise, like, why him? Like, if it's purely predatory, and he is only ever meant to be her Renfield, then why did she choose the runt? Why did she choose the weakling? Because he's the one that will that will never leave her. Yeah. Right? The He'll runt needs her. But do you think he's going to No be one ever values him. Well, everybody can be useful. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter if you're the runt of the litter or you're the toughest one. Like, Ugh, everybody has the, everyone has potential. People. No, what, no, no, no. But I mean, obviously, like, do you think he's going to be useful in the way that she needs where he is going to, you know, he's going to harvest bodies and blood for do you, her? You I know? mean, the real question is, do you think he loves her enough to do anything for her? And I don't know. I, do, I don't know that we ever see that moment where... I and that's the thing. If the if this version of the story where Matt Reeves makes that change, if it has any flaw, it's that that question is never answered fully. It's never answered satisfactorily. Now I don't know that it needs to be, but I don't know that we ever see a moment in the movie where Owen makes that choice. He's never even presented because he's with, also well, well. That's a choice he can't make yet. True. true yeah. True. Yeah. This is the tip of the iceberg of that relationship. That yeah. What we're seeing is the very beginnings, like you mentioned earlier, grooming, right? This is the very beginnings of that process. And the fact that we go from him leaving, leading his normal life to him on a train, leaving everything behind with her in a fucking suitcase, like shows that there is the potential there to get him to do whatever she wants. Well, and there is um, that idea that he does do the, you know, he's interested in strength training, training. He, he yep. wants and to get he bigger. He wants to get when, stronger. Yeah. And when she killed the cop, he looked away. He didn't intervene. He didn't tell on her and the cop did not deserve it. Regardless no. of whether the bullies deserved it, like the kid, like Owen knew that the, the detective was not a bad man and he did not deserve what he got, but he allowed, uh, you know, Abby to do what she did without interfering. And and that is a sign that he will look the other way when innocent people die. That's important. Like all of the signs are there, I think, for Abby. Um, 
So, you know, and I think one of the reasons Thomas was so upset is I, I imagine they were casing people. And like, one of the reasons they're there is for Owen. I think like, that's why Richard Jenkins is sort of upset about Owen and doesn't want to hear about him. Cause he knows that that's his replacement and that's why they're there. I love that. And I love all the little notes and we don't get a lot of time with that character, but I love that, you know, on, on first viewing, when you're watching it, you're like, oh, he's a protective father, you know? And when you watch it again, knowing where it all goes, it's like, hey, he's not a protective mm-hmm. father. He's more like a jealous would-be lover, you know? Yeah, that's what's so fucked up about yeah. him is because you know that, like, that's how it started was that he was in love with her and then he got older and she didn't. But that love, I guess, you know, had to some somehow sort of be there for him to continue doing what he's doing. But man, is that warped. He, the uh, man poured acid on his face and then wrote a note yeah. that said, I'm sorry, Abby. Like he's, he was, he was all in like he, yeah. gotta yep. give him that. He was in. Fucking hell. I don't know that I could ever pour acid on my face. Just saying, I don't know. I could bring myself to do that. I mean, you don't love Shannon <laughs> enough to pour acid on your own to pour face. acid on my face. I don't know that she would want me to, you know, I guess if I was murdering people in her name, perhaps. Paul, would you, would you uh, pour acid on your beard? No, my beard. No, that's where he draws the line. That's my best feature. (laughs) (laughs) All right, gang. Somehow, someway, we have come to the end of this commentary. And I got to tell you, if this is is what New Hammer has given us right out of the gate, I'm feeling pretty good about what's coming up. Yeah, it was good. Same. I'm excited about Woman in Black. Oh, me too. That's that's what I'm looking most forward to, but... It's my second most forward to. I know it's not part of the hammer thing, but when we eventually get around to doing our Dracula Dead and Loving It episode, it's going to be perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah. I promised Neil he could come for that, by the way. <laughs> we need to make it a party. So yeah, Neil's coming. Everyone can come back for the fun episode. So let let me in. Thumbs up all around. Like, we, we dug this movie, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Very good. All right. So next week or maybe a couple of weeks from now, we haven't really hammered out a schedule. We're trying, listeners, and we appreciate your patience. Uh, In any case, our next episode, we will be back with The Resident, starring Hilary Swank, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, and Christopher Lee. It's it's a new Hammer movie, but it's kind of like a throwback to their tradition of many Hitchcocks. And uh, if you haven't seen it before, no spoilers – but it's uh, deeply fucked up and uh, and pretty good. So very curious to see what everyone thinks about that. In any case, Allie, Paul, can you both tell everyone where they can find you all online and what we can keep an eye out for from you in the future? Allie, go first. Uh, you can find me at the Alley Chapel across the board, especially on Etsy, where I'm making and selling some cool shit right now. And otherwise, I'm just like living large, yo. Putting my hands through windows. That's my life now. <laughs> she was just really angry about Texas Chainsaw Massacre and put her fist through the window. That's what actually happened. Oh, my God. I've done that before, though. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> All right, Paul, how about you? Uh, you can find me at the uh, modest handle at Paul is great 2000 on Twitter and uh, Instagram as well. Uh, although I'm much more active on Twitter, uh, and I post about horror movies and stuff. <laughs> and you watch, some, you watch Romy Michelle recently. 
I do. I've been watching a lot of teen comedies. And like, uh, <laughs> the Pussycats. I did, and uh, I just did a double feature of She's All That and He's All That. Oh, He's All That is the worst. It wasn't good. <laughs> just I was mad that we're, it wasn't. We're, like we're a, gonna have to table the He's All That discussion to the opening of true, the rest yeah. of the episode. I I was going to open with that movie to piss you off, and then like you said, we only had like four minutes. So I was like, all right, I don't want to do that. Make it, make it count. <laughs> Got to make it count. <laughs> all right as always thank you both so much for co-hosting and thanks to all you listeners out there as always please make certain to like subscribe share use the comment section below scream at us on facebook and twitter that's at scream addicts and i'm at jenks 1981 until next time folks thanks so much and have a great weekend